0: We are about to get started, Hotshot Scott, on episode 91 of Mitch Unfiltered.
1: The Mother's Day edition of Mitch Unfiltered. Kind of, sort of. Yeah, kind of, sort of.
0: When people listen to this, they'll realize that those guys... Hung out on Mother's Day and, and did episode 91, but it won't be Mother's Day any longer.
1: Yeah, they'll be over it by far by the time they get to this I mean, Mother's Day. I was happy to see MILFs trending today on Twitter. Oh, it's a stirring tribute
0: to all the moms out there. Milf's, MILFs has been trending. Where did that come from? American Pie? I think it was American Pie. I think American Pie. Can you imagine Stifler's mom? Yeah, Stifler's mom. Yeah. that's right.
1: I saw yeah. that movie by the way on yeah. a sneak preview. Remember, are we, we really going
0: there on Mother's Day? Yeah. Let's go right
1: there. <laughs> Let's do it. Go ahead.
0: We're not waiting for buttholes at the at the back of the the the. Well. Uh, the, the, the show, other stuff segment we're going right on the t's right to milfs the, okay the, go the ahead the
1: show is young i mean buttholes yeah. could come way later i yeah. mean no but i saw that at a remember we'd get pre, previews and you're in radio like hey 12 o'clock come see a movie that you've never even heard of. you know you, yeah, you, you would get in I early think, yeah
0: i never did that no.
1: i rarely did it but yeah. wink shapiro said hey i got two passes let's go see this movie i was like all right i had no and idea it was american what pie what it was about and we died laughing it was such a win because it could have been a total turd right what a great movie right. hilarious love that movie
0: right and then they did about 12 after that <laughs> yeah i liked the one and i don't don't know why we're doing movies, but I guess we're doing movies. What else? Are I we think because you and I were talking about old school before we started recording episode ninety-one. Right. I don't know how we. Because you said you had seen. Well, I watched Animal, Animal House. House the other day. <laughs> yeah, last night. I think those movies in Vegas were the memory where they start recreating the memory. What unconscious, not unconscious? Oh, Hangover. Hey, I think those things were. I think those things were brilliant. The first thing Hangover was
1: awesome, incredible. Yeah. Was well, Mike Tyson in the first one? Not underrated. It's the most successful comedy of all time. Hangover.
0: Like financially speaking, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh,
1: yeah. I think it so might not be not underrated. The most successful rated R movie of all time, or really, and our old pal Brody Stevens, rest in peace, was in that really? movie. yeah.
0: I thought that was a great movie.
1: Very good, Mike Tyson. Very clever.
0: Gets caught. Very clever. Where you're trying to figure it out as it goes along. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. But very, we were, very. Clever. I watched Animal House, but we brought up old school. That that uh-huh. that goes under that goes under the radar. Old school. You think great. that's underrated? I, you don't think
0: people think old school is great? Uh, I just never, Mitch, Mitch never, was the, was yeah, the main Mitch, character. Mitchapalooza
1: yeah. was the big party <laughs> with Snoop Dogg. That he threw. He's like, you hired Snoop Dogg? And he goes, look, Mitch, I'm worth $2.5 million uh. that the government knows about. You think I'm going to hire a college alt-rock band? Uh. Love that line. So funny. Great movie.
0: Yes. Episode 91 available on all major podcast platforms. Ladies and gentlemen, we are recording this on Mother's Day you can hear this on Apple, Spotify, or whatever it is that you listen to podcasts. You can always join us at mitchunfiltered.com. There's lots of things that you can do, Hotshot Scott, at mitchunfiltered.com. You can listen to the shows. I don't, I don't recommend that. I recommend you get them to your your podcast app. But if you want to go to mitchunfiltered.com like the old-fashioned way on the website and listen to the shows, you can do that. You can buy merchandise. I think I, we may have had a pause because Amazon may have paused us, but uh, you can not essential. uh, And, and most importantly, what you can do at Mitch, yeah, I'm not essential. (laughs) Most importantly, what you can do on MitchUnfiltered.com is click the become a patron. Yes. You become a patron for $5 a month. You'll have access to all of the other P episodes. We call them P episodes each and every Thursday. We do another full episode. Sometimes we do some other ones. 91 P for an example, will be released with all the guests and all the, the hullabaloo, the fanfare, uh, this coming Thursday. Lots of quoting
1: movie lines, more than likely, you know, like old school and Animal House, you know. That's probably all we're going to do.
0: Episode 91, before I get to the guests, what did you do? Did you have a good mo- I, I feel weird asking you if you had a good <laughs> Mother's Day. I should be asking your wife. I should be asking Piper's mom if she had, did she have a good Mother's Day? She did. She had a mimosa, so I think that's
1: all that that's really it. matters. And she, so it's got, over. she got a nap in. So it's a win. Really? But I, I made breakfast. I made eggs Benedict for them. Oh. Yeah. It's really. Like you can cook? Yeah. I fancy myself pretty good, actually. And hollandaise really? sauce is not easy. If you do it a little too hot, it separates and really? it's, it's scrambled eggs. Do yeah. you
0: have the attention span to be able to cook? Well, I put headphones on
1: and listen to stuff <laughs> while,
0: while I'm cooking. <laughs> Honestly, it helps me.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I made breakfast. Mimosa. So you stayed
0: home all day on Mother's Day?
1: Yeah, but Saturday night we went down to the river, put the feet in the river, oh, kind of walked around and then uh, picked up sushi. And uh, oh, really? ate in our backyard, so that that was a big Saturday really? night
0: for us. Yeah, it's good. That's nice. It is nice. Nice yeah. with the weather, it's been nice. We had a huge weekend here at the Levy household. <laughs> yeah, huge. Oh, I'm ready. No, I'm, you're you're laughing like I'm I'm being I'm being really okay. serious. It was a huge weekend. <laughs> You're still laughing. You don't I can never laughing. tell when you're serious. Max about. turned 18 oh. on Saturday. Movie mogul Max turned 18. He's an adult. Is that why he was smoking in the driveway? Because he can finally <laughs> buy him now? A drink and Drinking Booze, no, the not drink <laughs> no, booze. No, not yet. He's 18 wow. years old on Saturday, and we had to do the whole... His mom wanted to do the whole quarantine birthday. You know what the quarantine birthday is? Where you sit outside and, and cars come oh. beeping by and they're waving and we're throwing candy at them. Yeah, yeah. Little candy bags. And people are throwing cards out and waving them at the whole thing. That's we cool. did the, we My went daughter to, went, went to do one the whole
1: thing on, on Friday. Friday. They went to one. I'd never heard of that till Friday. They went. Yeah, to, yeah they a,
0: line up down yeah, the street. Honk the horn line. and the whole thing. And, and to me, I, I don't know that I was really in favor of doing it because I hate asking people to do stuff for us. Sure. Like, can you drive by and honk and then go home? I mean, it's not like we're having a party where you come in, we'll feed you, we'll right. give you some. No, could you Could you drive an hour and a half to the house <laughs> right. from Portland yeah. just to wave? Yeah. No, I'm sorry. But then I had this kind of epiphany while I was watching the whole thing, and he was enjoying it. I didn't think he'd enjoy it. I thought he'd be on his phone, like not even paying attention. Yeah. He was enjoying throwing the bags of candy into the window to see how many he could hit. And I, I had an epiphany in the middle of it, that this is the way all parties should be. I would be a happier guy. (laughs) That's your dream. (laughs) If every party that I was ever invited to, and look, I don't get invited to many. (laughs) <laughs> but if every party in the last 25 or 30 years that I was invited to, all I needed to do was drive by and honk and wave and then go home. Perfect. I don't think I would have ended up in counseling. Th- I think I'd be a healthy guy. All right.
1: <laughs> Thanksgiving, they could just make a plate and throw it in your window. No, no, I, I don't would... even want the plate. You don't, you don't I don't want anybody's food. food.
0: No, no, no. I don't want I don't want anybody's food. I just want to be able to drive yeah. and, and, and beep and say, hey, happy birthday. Or this Brilliant. was a great Friday night. Just just like ten seconds, and then go back and hide underneath my underneath my desk. <laughs> right, that where would you, be awesome. Where you belong, yes. So, can we extend these types of parties? After we, if we ever return to normalcy, that's my question.
1: So 18 years old? 18
0: years. So he wow. turned 18 on Saturday, which was, an. Emo- it's actually, I'm an emotional guy. It was very emo. My wife did an unbelievable job with videos and this, she set up this whole parade and we had balloons oh, so nice. outside and happy birthdays and people, it, it was great. It was great. And I think he really appreciated it. We made his favorite meal, one of his favorite meals and I cooked a little bit. I baked oh, a little wow. bit, you know, and then we don't have really time to relax because we turn around at midnight and it's mother's day. So when I went to get the happy birthday balloons, I finagled a happy mother's day balloon and stowed it away Ah. so that at midnight I could put it up with a happy mother. So we went right from Max's birthday on Saturday into mother's day on Sunday. And, and she said from the get go, what I'd like to do is I'd like to get out of the house and go do something that we haven't done. And we started thinking about different options and, We came up with the idea of taking the boys to this place that's right nearby that we very rarely have been called the University of Washington. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Max has decided he is going to become a Husky. Bow down to Washington. Believe Believe it it or not. not.
1: Bow down. I love it. How we
0: ended up. Him yeah. being a husky, he's a Seattle guy. What do you want? That's the uh, I don't. I'm not for. sure I mean. exactly how he got there because he wasn't going there like three weeks ago. Yeah. I don't even think he was going there two weeks ago, and oh. then bam, he's. A, I don't even. I don't even want to guess or understand it. Yeah. but he's going to the University of Washington. We're very proud of him. Sure. We're excited, and we thought, okay, last week we had to get in deposits. And housing application, uh, you never went through all of this at Eastgate State University. You didn't stay in the dorms at Eastgate State well, University. Well, you laugh, but I,
1: I went to Wenatchee Valley College to play football my first year, and they had dorms, so I did go through a little bit football. of it. play football. They had a football team there, yes. <laughs> there were two, co- two community colleges in the state, Walla Walla and Wenatchee. So I chose Wenatchee because Did they think it was they were closer. getting
0: Leonard Weaver, or did they think they were getting you? <laughs> yeah. Did they, you wear, what number did you wear when you went there? Well, there?
1: listen to this. I get everything all set to go. Yeah. They cancel the program. Like, that summer. (laughs) Gone. So now there's one school in the state.
0: That's funny.
1: Yeah, so I just lived in the dorms. never played a game? Never. No, they they canceled the program. Yeah.
0: Well, he had to get his deposit in, and you know how this works? You actually request three different dorms, one, two, and three. The types of rooms. Do we want doubles? Oh, yeah. See, I don't remember doing it No, we had no choices. I I was in... Do you want ticks or fleas? I was in a single (laughs) at Syracuse in 1985, my freshman year. I was in... A single single's good though, right? With three other guys. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you had it to yourself. That's a score. It was the smallest room. We had two bunk beds. It was unbelievable how we were on top of each other, and still we figured out a way to get one of those football games in. Do you remember the old football games? No. You remember the old X's and O's? It's a long story. You know those tabletop. You went to an arcade. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was gotcha. a rollerball, yeah. and there was four plays: the down and out, the bomb, totally. the off tackle, the sweep. Yep. You know. Yeah, the, yeah, And you and one guy was on one side, and he 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 got to control one X, and you got to control one O, and then the pass. You know. So we put one of those things in. Anyway, he he had all of these requests. He had to you know first, second, and third, and then you know meal plans and. Oh right, yeah. And. And it dawned on me as we were filling out these forms, it was kind of embarrassing. I mean, no one, it it was embarrassing to me because we're filling out these forms and I'm realizing I've lived here for 25 years, longer than 20, almost 26 years. I've lived 15 minutes (laughs) from the University of Washington for 25 years. I don't know where anything is. I, I, <laughs> I felt like that maybe when we were putting the, the application together that I should know where these halls are. I've never even... I've hardly stepped on... I go to the... Yeah, I go to the football games. I go to the basketball games. I don't remember ever spending really any time actually even driving through. I can't believe University of Washington's 15 minutes away for 26 years. I never found the way to get over there. I didn't (laughs) even know how to find the place.
1: No idea where the dorms are or the Greek row or any of that stuff.
0: So what what my wife said is, okay, on Mother's Day, we're not allowed to do much. And I didn't even think we were allowed to do this. I don't, maybe Jay Ensley's going to get mad at me, but, (laughs) but we went, to Washington and the family of four, we got out of the car. We just walked around. We looked for the dorms anywhere. And and it, it, again, an, another another epiphany was as we looked at the dorms on Mother's Day. It dawned on me that maybe we should have done this before we actually made the request for which oh. dorms. <laughs> <in. laughs> because he just did it. He did. He did it essentially. None of us really knew. Just he did, did it essentially it blind. blind. Yeah. And then we went looking for. Talk about. <laughs> how, Ass backwards, right? Then we went on Sunday looking for these dorms that he and we saw some of the places. And They're all probably kind of the, gonna same, go to the business right? I mean, school there, so we saw the business school, okay. and yeah, yeah. it was kind of a fun, uh, kind of a fun day. Nice little outing, yeah. It's a nice place. Have you ever seen this place? It's a nice place, <laughs> yeah. It turns out it's, it's pretty, a nice little campus right in the middle of Seattle,
1: gorgeous with the mountains and the lake the right whole there. It's yeah,
0: great. I never knew. <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome to Seattle. You're gonna like it here. So that's the way we spent Mother's Day, so no frat for him. No, he's not a frat guy. Uh, okay. I mean, yeah, I guess he could change his mind like he changes his mind what school he's going to. But sure, I guess maybe I, I, I don't him. see him being a frat guy. I, d- I don't see that. You no. weren't in a frat? No, I was not in, in a Syracuse? frat. No, my frat was my, we used to say our frat was the radio stations, the campus radio. We used to spend all of our time at the campus radio stations. So.
1: I, I too would not have gone to a frat, I don't think, if I went no. to a It's not my style. I did love the, I appreciate the parties. Those are great, but yeah. when they're over, it's nice to go home to your yeah. own your own little pad. Yeah. So he's living in the dorms, the meal plan, he's, the whole thing. Well,
0: we don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, we assume so. We, we sent the application in. We sent the money in. We requested the dorms. We went and looked at the dorms yeah. that we requested. That's so walked cool. It was, it was gorgeous out. It was like 85 degrees on Sunday, Mother's Day, and we took pictures. And I was... I was actually very concerned and i told them look i I can't promise you that we're not going to get i didn't think we were even allowed on campus i didn't even think that we're supposed to be doing congregating on a campus but we got there i thought they might have security guys there saying hey like tom brady at the park in tampa when they threw him out i i didn't think we were supposed to be there i was concerned and then i we get there we parked the car there are tons of people walking through the campus. Social
1: distancing, though, I
0: think applies. Yes, so, social distancing. Yeah. But I here's what I was shocked: we actually had lunch there at one. Of, I got a sandwich at one of the house, dining dining halls. Oh, In really? Like a, the dorm dining hall was open to the public? To the public and to anybody you else? You didn't need a little
1: card to swipe
0: for your no, points? No, they said they, they took a credit card. Wow! I actually ate at one of the dining halls, and they had pie, they had pizza. Uh, at one of the places, one of the pizza places was open and we sat there, huh. we sat on, I, I don't know that we were supposed to, but we just sat on the outside benches and we, we made a That's picnic cool. of it. I, I totally was surprised that we were allowed to do all this
1: stuff. When you go get things like balloons or go to the grocery store, do you wear a mask?
0: Yes. We may, we wore masks at the UW on Sunday. What do you think all of, of, us of people who don't? I get a little concerned inside places. If, they're, if it's inside places, I don't, I don't like that people are not doing it.
1: I wear one when I go to the store, but I see some people aren't. I'm just wondering what message they're, they're trying to send to the rest of us. That they're not worried, that maybe we shouldn't be worried, that I'm a wimp. Are they typically
0: young, healthy-looking people?
1: Uh, some, I mean, sometimes, but I, I see people my age not wearing them.
0: When I went to the grocery store for the ingredients for Max's birthday dinner, on, I went on Friday... I had to stand outside. I have not really been to a grocery store. We've been having stuff delivered. I've not really been. But we needed stuff right away. So I went and I stood outside in a line. They were letting people in as one person would come out, one person was allowed in. One person out. So I stood in a long line. It was a beautiful day. I didn't mind it. And then I got in there, and I noticed that, and I was wearing a, I was wearing a face covering. I noticed that it was like 85% or 90% of everybody was were wearing masks yeah. of some sort. But the people that weren't seemed to be really young, energetic, and healthy-looking people. Okay. And and I just, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't like it. I didn't love it.
1: Yeah, I don't I love, love it. I, I don't love it either. So it, it, it makes me feel like I'm being kind of a wimp or two no too too no, something
0: you're not, you're not wimpy
1: <laughs> okay but i mean it's like why, why are some people not wearing them I, I don't understand where their head is on that because it is i see it i see it all the time are they trying to say look at
0: me i'm tougher than you no i th- i think they're just it's just they don't want to be inconvenienced hmm. lazy maybe don't realize that maybe think that the coverings are protecting you from others and they're saying to themselves, we don't care whether anybody else gives us the, the, the virus because we're too healthy, we're too young, we're too vibrant for it huh. to affect us. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't think that there's the message. I don't think that there's a message that they're trying to send. All right. Just curious. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Episode 91, guests. How about this one for guest number one? Football Hall of Famer number 39 of the Miami Dolphins, Larry Zonka. Wow. What does
1: he do for you? Well, I actually love the way he ran. because Oh, I, my I, God. I Nobody runs back. like
0: that anymore.
1: Yeah. Because he's one of those guys I looked at, like Christian Okoye was another one.
0: He was Earl Loved Campbell it. before Earl that's Campbell. That's right. Now yeah, he yeah. didn't have the speed and the athleticism, but Hall of Famer Larry wow. Zonka played for Don Shula. That's the reason he's going to be on, not because I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. That too. Uh, <laughs> number 39, you know where he went to college? He was a college Hall of Famer as well. Syracuse. He went to Syracuse. Yes. So he, That's a great combo. Syracuse to the Miami oh, Dolphins. Oh, yeah. You should love this guy. Uh,
1: do I ever? I hope he has the mustache still. He <laughs> well, should never lose the it's mustache. It's an
0: audio interview, so you don't have to worry. <laughs> all right, about all right. Uh, Larry Zonka, lifelong Chicago Bulls fan, Andrew Goldberg—you wouldn't know the name—trying to accomplish the daunting task. Listen to this: of collecting every ticket stub or a ticket stub to every Chicago Bulls game of Michael Jordan. Sorry, let me let me re, let me correct that. Okay a ticket stub to every game that Michael Jordan ever played every professional game Washington Wizards wow. Chicago Bulls every and now he's since expanded to he's got the ticket stub now from the North Carolina championship game where he hit the shot the dream teams he's got he wow. wants a ticket stub to every game that Michael Jordan ever played so ask me how many there are out there. Oh, we have a number. How many are there? There's 1,264 oh. possibilities. Including the Olympics, you said. Not including the Olympics. Okay, so Just no 1,264 okay. NBA games, and this guy's already got, I think he's got 900. Really? Of the games already checked off the list. I would have
1: said like 200, maybe. How you nine, get these? He's got 900. Now, did he, he start neither. this before the quarantine, or no. is this a... No, yeah, yeah. He did, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I Back in he got, 2015, He, he got a little bored yeah. and thought, you know what I'm going to do? I wonder how he gets them. I'm sure
0: he'll tell us. Well, eBay and everything eBay, else. But yeah. he's going to tell the story about how he's trying, trying so desperately. But some are very expensive. I'll give you an example. Michael Jordan played in his first NBA game. 1984, is that right? Yes. 1984 would have been October or September of 1984. Yep. At the old Chicago Stadium. Smaller place. And the Bulls were lousy. So only 13,000 people showed up. So there's only 13,000 oh. ticket stubs. He... I found out he either told me or I found out that some people that bought like upper deck tickets to his first ever game. No one knew that he was going to be great. No one knew that they were going to be great. Whatever. They paid $12 for tickets to get to that game. And they can sell the ticket stub for thirty-five grand. Is that right? Yeah, you pay twelve dollars to go in to see Michael Jordan and the Bulls play, and then you sell your ticket stub if you still got it for thirty-five. That's that's the going rate for that ticket stub. It's become a really kind of a hot thing collecting ticket stubs. So he's trying to get it. And wow. some of the ones that he doesn't have are Sonics Bulls games. Oh. So not the NBA Finals. He's got all the NBA Finals, but he doesn't have a couple of the regular season. Now I want to look. I have some ticket stubs at home. And he wanted to come on because he's hoping that maybe somebody will hear him and sell him, be willing to sell him some of the regular season Sonics Bulls games. That Michael Jordan, so he's collecting every one of the ticket stubs, or a a ticket stub to every one of the uh, Michael Jordan games. Does he have a plan, or what he wants to do when he when he finally gets there and gets? I think he wants to show Michael Jordan it's a little bit goofy. Gotcha. Okay, it's his chance to meet. No, I no, I think he wants to keep him. I think it's he thinks it'll they'll be valuable someday. You know, his point is, and it's interesting, it's true. You can't do it now. Oh yeah, you you can't buy them online because tickets are. Are on off phone, of yeah. your phone. That's right. A lot of tickets you print out on your printer. There's no, t- like if somebody wanted to do what he did for LeBron James, you could never do it because ticket stubs. That's right. There's so many games where ticket stubs aren't even available because people are using barcodes off their phones now. The Jordan was kind of the last era of guys where you could collect ticket stubs i
1: I love me a pair of hard tickets go to the go up to the sonics office ask your pal they hand you they hand you two they're kind of big and long yeah nothing better i have some at home so he'll
0: be with us andrew goldberg will be with us to tell us about his collection and then the last guest will be i never thought i'd ever do it washington state university entomologist you know what an entomologist is todd murray is going to be with us. entomologist you know what an entomologist is no entomologist yes the study of what? Viruses. Close. No? Uh, I don't know. How about insects? Oh, boy. We're talking and, yeah. murder hornets with a Washington State University. Oh, God. I, I never thought in my sports radio career, it's been 30, 35 <laughs> years, that I'd ever do a segment. <laughs> right discussing with a doctor of insects or whatever it is, a a researcher of insects, the murder. We're going to get the true lowdown, the myths, the legends, the truths behind my infatuation, which is the murder. I can't stop watching them. I have two favorite videos now. Okay. And you probably have seen them both. You've certainly seen the praying mantis. Oh, yeah. I said on Twitter, it gives me shivers. (laughs) I can't even watch it. I hate it. I love that video. I love the fact that the praying mantis... Is just noshing on the head and the eye yeah. of the hornet, and yet the hornet, without an eye and without a head, at the at the point where it's already been consumed by the praying mantis, he's still trying to sting him. Oh yeah, he's still moving. I can't. I don't understand how he's moving. He's got no head left. The mantis has eaten his <laughs> eye, his head, and he's still trying to well, sting him. They say chickens
1: can run around for a few seconds without a head. Like yeah. with a chicken with a head. That's cut right. Off.
0: Exactly right. Okay.
1: Yeah, I did see a story about the, these hornets that said if you think you saw one, contact Washington State University. Yes,
0: he's going to talk about that. And I was like, yeah. "Why do we have
1: to be involved with everything in this state?" Because
0: they've been <laughs> spotted in the state of Washington. I know it's the first state that they've been. They're of paci- course, they're Pacific Rim hornets.
1: Oh, why us? Yeah, why? But go to California we gotta or get, something. But, but
0: this is dangerous. We got to get ahead of the curve. We got to flatten the curve.
1: Flatten the curve. We got to flatten. The, yeah,
0: because they're they're just taking out our honeybees. Oh yeah. They're just going in and severing the heads. A few hornets can go into a honeybee nest, or what do you call it? A hive. hive yeah. A hive. A few hornets can go in, and within an hour, they could decapitate a thousand honeybees and, and just, just destroy oh the honeybee situation.
1: Getting itchy, getting shivery over here. Stop talking about it. I did see a yellow jacket go into my crawl space today from the outside. You did. And I was looking at it like, is that one of those things or is that just a yellow jacket? Have you
0: seen the video, the other video that I love? I've watched like a thousand times because I have nothing better to do. (laughs) Apparently, the honeybees in Europe or in Asia who have been living with the the risk of these hornets for a long... You know, these hornets have been around for a long time over there. They just haven't been here. They're called giant hornets. They're called giant... Asian giant hornets—they're not called murder hornets, right? I think they, they Asian that giant idea. hornets. They've been around for years, and honeybees have had to learn how to defend themselves because they did to the honeybees back in the day what they're doing to ours now. Because ours are stupid—we don't—they wow. don't know how to handle this. Where they come in and they cut off all the heads of oh. all the, and then take their bodies to their to their kids to 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 feed them. Well, Asian honeybees have learned a defense mechanism. And there's video. Have you seen the video? It is, I can't. I can't it watch is, it. Oh, yes, you can. You'll love this. All right. It's fantastic. <laughs> All right. The precision. You you just wonder whether they're almost as smart as us. The precision of which these Asian honeybees defend themselves against these hornets is fantastic. Okay. So there's a video uh, that's making the rounds where a, vi- a, a hornet or two come in. They slip in the crack of the hive. And there's literally thousands of of bees in those hives in Asia. And as soon as these guys come in, they see them, all the bees go up into the hive to their spots, wherever their spots. And there's literally thousands of them. Man, your stations. And they all just, except for one or two, one or two hang out by the hornet. And everybody else just goes up like they're scared and they just stop. And and, and, and movement stops in these hives. And then, as soon as the hornet goes after, like grabs one of the little honeybees that's sitting there, they all just just attack they pounce they pounce and they know that a hornet's body temperature cannot go as high as their body temperature they can they're like five degrees more and they what they do is they just they pounce and they attack and like 50 or 100 of them go around one of them and they heat him up and he dies they cook him essentially they cook him and he dies right there on the spot and it's all complete precision. They're waiting for their exact moment. It's like it's like they've got a leader going, ready, ready, now. Yeah. And then they just go get it's it's crazy.
1: Wow. Crazy. Evolution's crazy. fascinating. You better sort, you know, adapter. You're not gonna survive.
0: So we're talking entomology here on episode ninety one. I like it. Has this been the tease, by the way? Are we yeah, we haven't started?
1: Okay, just checking. All right.
0: Okay, hot shot, Scott, episode ninety one before it begins, the Kirkland Office of Gill Mortgage. Call 425-250-3150. Low interest rates, buying and refinancing opportunities abound. And some encouraging news for those of you still having trouble with monthly payments. Three top 1% brokers in the United States in their Kirkland office alone for Jordan Flowers team. Again, 425-250-3150. Evergreen Gov call. The market was up last week. I think about 3%. From Monday to Friday, Tyler Hayes' team listening to and understanding its clients' needs and for decades responsibly growing families' money, the private wealth management division with offices along the West Coast headquartered right here in Bellevue. Evergreen and its clients now ready to take some advantages of opportunities that are here in the economy. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Zeke's Pizza, Zeke's Pizza delivers zeke's beer delivers and i'm not just talking about great northwest style pizza salads beer wine whatever you like president dan black will be back on this show to tell you a little bit more you can tip in advance they'll leave it right at your door pay up front delicious normalcy in the midst of this pandemic zeke's pizza delivers homegrown in the northwest and daniel's broiler the schwartz family under a lot of stress these last many months You can help out beyond purchasing gift cards at Daniels Broiler and DanielsBroiler.com. Don't forget about our Schwartz Brothers Bake Goods section in the grocery store on display, typically right in front. Same company, same fantastic products. We love the chocolate croissants from Schwartz Brothers Bakery. This is episode 91, and it begins right now. Unfiltered. Colleges will do just about anything to play the college football season. So that if that means literally starting in January... Or February, they play college basketball during the week and they play college football on the weekends. Let's go. You talk about jumping through hoops. College football and college administrators and athletic chairmans—they will play college football if it's the last thing they do. Unfiltered. Why not bring the guy that's familiar with the clubhouse and the system? I think this Jadavion Clowney thing is a no-brainer. I wonder whether he's so pissed at the Seahawks for not giving him more and more years that he's like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm. I'm. Hey, Jaron, you can have my number you can have my number because i'm not coming back mitch is unfiltered quite a long tease i apologize for that that was a long tease <laughs> a heck of a tease right there we did the whole show in the tease section that's good oh i can leave now i'm good it's kind of like the old george carlin thing i think i told you this you've seen him a number of times right? Three i saw times, him one yeah. time i saw him one time and he never started the show what do you mean He came on at the beginning and he said, now listen, before we start the show and he'd do some thing, and then a few minutes later after he did that thing, he'd say, "Uh, yeah, I know we got to start the show, but before we start the show and then he'd do some other comedy, And before you know it, two hours are gone, and he hadn't started the show yet. Oh, gotcha. That that was his routine that night. He never started the show. Just kept on saying, okay, oh, 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 yeah, before we start the show. So that's that's kind of what we did in the tease. All right, gotcha. We did a a whole show in the tease. We got nothing left. (laughs) I got a few things. Do you? Of course. Episode nine. Well, I got a couple of things. Episode 91, I suppose we should talk about Earl Thomas. Some of the things that have happened since we were (sighs) last together, even on episode 90P, I believe the Earl Thomas and his wife story happened even after... 90p i think it was that night maybe maybe it was thursday or thursday night scary scary story a lot of people having fun with this poking fun at earl thomas the former seahawk i think i do have to go through it by now does everybody know it should i just assume that everybody knows that the wife of several years with kids suspected something was going on got a couple of friends grabbed a gun supposedly emptied the bullets out of the gun but really didn't fully anyway she meant to she meant she to says, yeah she went she found him in bed with his brother and his and a couple uh, of girls i know a lot of people are having fun with this aspect of it were they in separate rooms do we care i've read
1: two different things they were okay. in se- at first i heard they were all in the same bed
0: yeah and people but, had a field day with that him and his brother and yes, girls and two girls uh, yeah playing in,
1: naked twister apparently with all four people naked twister in I, the bed right. then, then the next story i read they were in separate bedrooms so I, I don't know what to believe. Nonetheless, right. he was And she showed out up
0: him. with her friends. Yep.
1: and but, but I'm sorry, who knew you could be found on with, by using Snapchat? She found him.
0: See, I don't know Snapchat. I never had Snapchat. It's just another
1: social media. I thought media. Snapchat
0: was that thing where pictures disappear it, in like five seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But it's big with like younger people. Yeah, I know that. But who knew you could track somebody down using I don't even <laughs> what know. What the hell? I don't know. That's crazy. Anyway, sorry. Hey, she tracked him down to some him rental down. apartment or yep, something. Yep, like an Airbnb. Found
0: them in bed with girls, the, the brother, the so forth. And she and her girlfriend, and he, she took the gun to try to scare him and put the gun up to his head.
1: It was his gun she brought with oh, him. it was his gun.
0: Yeah. Yet there was one bullet left. That's what we One we're bullet hearing. in the chamber. Yes. And she thought there were none. Correct. And she... She... She had the safety off. Safety's off. Finger, finger on, on the, the trigger. trigger. Gun right up to his head. <sighs> he ends up wrestling with her over the gun. She thinks that she's got an empty gun, Right yep it's not empty they're wrestling he grabs the gun for her she grabs a knife whatever she's pissed she's yelling at the girl she's yelling at him the cops come and arrest her right that's right arrest her and then it all comes out and this happened back in April yep apparently it came out several weeks later Right. I
1: thought it might have happened further back. Where was it? April. April thirteenth. Okay. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. April
1: thirteenth. We're just now finding out. And about so it.
0: that now, now, as a result of it, they start checking. Ball the Baltimore Ravens start checking their contract. Did he violate a conduct clause in his contract? He didn't get arrested. She did. But he was the one with the girls. I mean, it just became a huge thing, a yeah. huge thing. And your first reaction was what when my, you read it? My first, did you
1: laugh? Yeah, I, I chuckled. You did. My first reaction, I chuckled, but then you start to think about how that could have ended really badly. Well, that's
0: where I'm going to go with
1: it. I yes. don't know. If, have you ever shot a gun, or do you know much about them, or?
0: I the only gun I ever shot were rifles at camp when I was a kid. Okay. A target practice. We'd have little targets out there. Like I guess they were BB guns. Okay. I guess I don't know what they were. You've heard the term hair trigger. That you, hair trigger temper. Yeah, I've heard the term. I don't know what that means. Yes, I don't know what that yeah, means. Yeah, so some
1: guns, you don't have to push it, the trigger. That, I'm no expert, but I've, I go shooting with my father-in-law sometimes. Yeah. Some guns you kind of have to push hard. Some you don't. Right. You're just barely a little bit of pressure, and that thing's going off. The fact that she was holding a loaded gun and hitting him with her left hand you know, I mean she could have easily it doesn't take much. And that's much. what I
0: think. So but you were laughing you said. I did. Just See, the, the I could not laugh. Of, oh, I could not laugh. Him and his brother just like oh There's so many layers to this. There's obviously the infidelity, there's obviously the gun, there's obviously the relationship between the two of them. There's obviously the fun of the the brother and the what's going on, the shenanigans yeah. going on. There's kids involved. And, and I just, you know, normally I can laugh at things, but I, it's, for some reason, this thing, because when I read that there was still a bullet in the chamber, I, the fact that the fact that he's not dead is un, is, to me, a miracle. Yeah. Think about, if she's going in there to scare him, thinking that she's got an empty gun and she's pulling the trigger, why is she oh. not clicking it? If she goes to click it thinking just, I'm going to scare the hell out of him, click it, he's dead, right? That's right. He's dead. She's arrested she's in jail she's going she's going down for murder and the little kids are without parents yep. essentially the rest of them that's how close we were so for whatever reason i couldn't get to the point of laughing and chuckling at the story and having fun with the story because i keep coming back to how and Okay, so she didn't pull the trigger when the, the gun was to his head. Well, how about when they started wrestling? Yeah. How did the trigger not just get pulled by just by That's accident? Right. Yeah. And she could have gotten shot and she could have been killed or, or I mean the whole thing, I, I just can't the more I think about it, the more I can't imagine how close we were to Earl Thomas or somebody being dead. Yeah. Being dead and the, the spouse being in jail for the rest of their lives.
1: She's essentially dead, too. I mean, her, her life's over. And the
0: kids are how old? Like yeah. three, five, Little. seven? I don't know. I, yeah. I, I just, it's unbelievable that that didn't happen. I can't, I, to this moment, I can't imagine that that didn't happen. They are so, we are so lucky yeah. we are not talking about somebody dying and uh, and the other person being in jail. That, that That's where I am on
1: this. I worked at a news radio station for about a year. I, I did the news on the weekends. I can't tell you how many news stories there were about kids showing their friends their parents' gun and them going off accidentally. Just like showing their friend, hey, this is my dad's gun, but boom! It, it doesn't take a lot for those to go off, so I, I mean... I don't know anything about that. So I agree that yeah. it's... I mean, It's she's, a miracle. She's holding it in one hand with her finger, and she's, she's hitting him. him. I mean, uh, all you have to do is just but sort if of remove your finger. I, I'll uh. just tell
0: you, if I had decided, which I would never do, if I, was, if I had decided that I was going to scare somebody with a gun and unloaded the magazine of the gun... And i was going to scare them i probably would have clicked it what yeah. why wouldn't i click yeah. it why wouldn't i go the whole mile the whole extra mile of scaring <laughs> the person right yeah and then the the other question i have and i know this is may, maybe this gets into a little bit of giggling i understand that there's cell phone footage of this yes okay who there if you're at a place where a gun comes out and you don't know whether it's loaded or not it goes to the head are you taking are you taking videos or are you getting out of the way you trying to help Who's taking videos on their phone in the middle of all this? Well,
1: from, from what I read, his yeah. wife, what's her name, Tina? I can't remember her name. Nina. Nina. It's Nina.
0: So Nina, Nina, Thomas.
1: Nina Thomas picked up her friend for a little moral support and said, this is what I'm going to do. Right. So her friend knew about it. Her friend knew she had a gun that wasn't loaded. Right. Quotes. Right. So her friend might have been getting evidence and proof, like, look at, look at my cheating husband. And she probably thought, well, it's not loaded. I'm not that worried about it. So it was probably her friend that oh, was boy. filming it. Yeah, there is video of it. Imagine. Yeah. That's going
0: to come out, that video, right? We're going to see it at some point.
1: Yes, we are going to see it.
0: So Earl Thomas' career and reputation.
1: Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I feel sorry for the wife. I feel sorry Boy. for everybody.
0: Imagine how it's changed since he's come into the league, the refreshing... Yo- Remember he was the youngest player in the NFL? Did you know that? Mm-mm. Yes. When he was drafted, I believe... You can go check me on this. He was the youngest player in the NFL when he wow. was drafted. Really young. He was young into college, and then he came out early, so that made him the youngest guy in the NFL. And he was just so beloved, and you liked everything about him. You liked the way he handled himself. You liked the way he played. You liked the way he got away along with teammates and coaching staff. He always seemed to say the right thing. You liked the way he was in the community, everything about Earl Thomas yeah. was almost perfect. Yeah. And then towards the end of his career here, it just soured middle fingers. And, yeah. and, and it just, it just got a little bit nasty, uh, not a little bit. It got a lot nasty between him and the organization. And he didn't seem happy again. And, now this and it's a shame it is a shame a couple morals of the story okay i'm D- ready for morals delete
1: snapchat on your phone if you have it okay, okay so i never you, got it i never got it anyway. Okay. My, my daughter downloads it sometimes for the apps but okay. I mean, for the uh whatever uh and if you're gonna scare somebody with a, a a gun that's not loaded maybe pull the trigger a few times in the yard just to make sure there's nothing in the chamber those are my two morals oh. my, those are my two tips of the day if you feel like you want to threaten somebody with a gun <sighs> yeah I know miracle that nobody's dead it is you're miracle. absolutely right and miracle I, I, that nobody's dead I hope those two look
0: at it that way and maybe they can reconcile and move. well they have that's the other part of the story have you been reading it well I know he, he... Got, he got a gift she gave him a necklace for his birthday he was like on Instagram and on Twitter saying Ugh. hey baby thank you very much for the necklace she was, she was showing up apparently everything's fine Fine quotes, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. They seem to have moved along, and she's getting him gifts for his his birthday was just the other day, and this is, of course, two or three weeks later. I don't know how fine things can be, but at least on the outside, they look pretty good.
1: Somebody points a loaded gun at my head. I don't know if my impulse is to buy them jewelry within the next month, right? No, oh, no, no, it was the other way oh, around. He, oh no, that's right. Okay, oh, yeah. he got the he yeah. got the necklace.
0: Yeah, Jeez. She pointed the gun. She got arrested. Yeah. She bought a nice piece of jewelry for him. <laughs> that's that old that old tale, right? <laughs> the NFL schedule's out, hot shot. Are you excited? Did you see the well, Seahawks schedule? Have I, you decided how they're going to do? I lost my bet, do? so I'm
1: not excited. I lost my bet. Oh, to so you. remind yeah.
0: everybody that was the P episode. What did we talk about? The you you said you thought that they were only going to be on prime time one 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 game. time, yeah. Which people and on I said Twitter you're killed crazy. Me for yeah, yeah. I was. I was. Well, yeah, they one time. What are you
1: talking about? You know, well, that's ridiculous. Killing me.
0: I offered to buy your your daughter a. A, uh, a a guitar. new guitar
1: yes i have a gibson sg picked out, if, but i'm going to have to return
0: if it was less than less than 3
1: you said there's no way to be less than on 3 and they're on four times four times yes
0: what do you think of the schedule do you like the schedule do you not i mean i as we as we have said over and over again we knew who they were playing yeah. there was no mystery or any kind of uh, any kind of intrigue over who they were playing where we know that from year to year we know that we just didn't know the order we didn't know which games were on on prime time, which games are in what order, what do you think? It's, it's clear that the, the consensus is that they've got a fairly soft start, first five games, and they've got a really, really, really soft ending, last five games, but the middle six is where it's at. The middle six are going to decide whether this Seahawks team is a, I don't know, a playoff contender are they a division champion contender? Are they a number one seed contender? It's going to be the middle six of the 16 games. They're going to tell that story.
1: The Niners, Bills, Rams, all those all those ones in the middle?
0: Yes. Well, after the five, if yeah. you have it in front of you, yeah. I've got it in front of me. Uh, they play – I happen to think the, the start to the season is a little bit more difficult than most people do just because I think when you're playing bad teams – You want to play them at the end of the year. You don't want to really play them at the beginning of the year when they still have hope and they're still not 10 games out of first place. So to play like, let's say, the Atlanta Falcons – the Atlanta Falcons is the is the opening game of the season in Atlanta. There'll be enthusiasm for that Falcons team. It'll be improved from last year. There'll be enthusiasm. There'll be a lot of pageantry. It will be a difficult situation for the Seahawks. Now, Seahawks should be a favorite in that game, but they'll only be a slight favorite. They'll be like a field goal favorite or a four- or five-point favorite in Atlanta, and that will be a difficult game. Now, if Atlanta has a horse crap year and they finish 6-10, and 10, you want to play them when they're 4-10 and 10, as opposed to 0-0 to start the season. Right. When their, when their
1: will's already broken. Yeah. Same,
0: same thing with the Dolphins early in the season in Miami. They're supposed to be improved. The Dallas Cowboy game here, I think, will be difficult for the Seahawks. I actually have them losing that game oh, at home okay. the third game of the season. I think where they do catch a break in the first five games is that New England game because it appears that they're going to play this quarterback who's never played, Stidham or whatever his name is. Yeah, And I'm assuming that if New England's here in week two, they're probably home In week one, which then tells me that he's making his first road start. Now, I don't know whether there's going to be any fans at these games. (laughs) We talked about that. I mean, I don't, I don't, and then I have another question about that, which I'll come back to, but let's assume that there's fans. Let's assume that it's a normal season. Okay you love the fact that this guy for the Patriots is going to start his first road game in your spot in week number two. I mean, that's, you love that's, it, yeah. that's, that's the perfect time. So I think the, the first five are interesting. Atlanta on the road, New England here, Dallas here going to be tough. At Miami, I think Miami will be improved, but you should win that game, although it'll be very, very, it'll be hot. It's going to be very hot, that game. Um, Minnesota at home here on, on Sunday Night Football to round out the first five. Then you have a bye week. And then the next six, I think, will tell the story of the Seahawks season. At Arizona, they're going to be much improved on it. That's going to be a really tough game. Home against San Francisco, you don't need me to tell you anything about that. At Buffalo, they're tough. going to be really good. Yeah. I think they're going to win the East. That'll be a very tough game. At the Rams, always a always tough game. Tough. They're going to be in their new stadium now. This yeah. is no, no going to, a, to the Coliseum or whatever. They're going to be in their new stadium. Tough game at the Rams. Home against Arizona. They always come here and, and win. That'll be part of the six. And then the final game of those middle six, the Philadelphia Eagles on the road on Monday night football. So those are the middle six. You could see them going three and three in those six. Yeah. You could see them going two and four. You could see them going four and two. You could see them going five and one. Those are the swing. So let's call them the swing swing six. Gotcha. Yeah, it could go either way. Yeah. Either way. And then they finish, of course, with some real softies. You get both New York Jets and Giants here. You go to Washington, they'll be bad. You go you got the Rams here, which should be a winnable, a very winnable game. And then the crazy ending in San Francisco against the 49ers. So five, four of the last five are very soft. So you get a soft-ish first five. Let's say they win four of those. Okay, four and one. Let's say they win four and one. Let's say they go four and one in the last five. That's eight and two. Yeah. So the middle six. That's right. And if we we said Let's go three and three. That's eleven and five. That's a that's a wild card team in the NFC. Really? Wild card yeah. eleven and five? Yeah, you're not gonna win the division. San Francisco will be better than eleven and five.
1: Well, I only listen to Mr. Postseason about this kind of stuff, so I don't I don't Well, Mr. Postseason
0: has exactly what you just said. Oh, really? He does eleven and five. Eleven and five. He's got him eleven and five. He's got him going three and three in the middle six. And he's got him going four and one in the first five and four and one in the last five.
1: I hate the last game of the year
0: at the forty Ooh, I Hate it. It's brutal. Absolutely brutal. It makes you kind of have to win that first game uh, on Sunday, November the 1st here. For tiebreaker purposes. Yeah, yeah, look at you. Yeah, well. Look at you. I'm catching on. I heard the show's catching on, too. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, there you go. There's the schedule.
1: Let's hope there's fans and let's hope there's games. That quarterback coming in for the Patriots. His first road game. Welcome to, welcome to the NFL, buddy. Come on in, Bill. Oh, jeez. Come in, Bill Belichick. It's going to be a wounded deer walking around.
0: I remember, I think, the last game that the Seahawks hosted, the last regular season game that the Patriots were here, about six years ago. I Is think that I you mad, that bro? Game.
1: You mad, bro? Is that that game? Uh, or, Richard, I sh- maybe. Where they came from behind to beat the Patriots?
0: Yeah, I remember, I remember a high-scoring game where they, they scored late in the game to win. A really exciting game. I think it might have been the You Mad Bro thing. I think it was, yeah. I think it might have been. The first time Richard, yeah. yeah, Richard yeah. Sherman's walking off and
1: he's like talking to Tom Brady. You mad, bro? Yeah. Yeah, That was pretty funny. All right,
0: three interviews including one of my all-time favorites as a kid, and then you and I will come back and we'll do the other stuff segment, okay? I'm ready. On the phone with Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. I know it's a strange and scary time, Jordan. You guys are open, right? You're in essential business?
2: Mitch, that is correct. We are an essential business being the financial sector, housing sector, and we are all still fully operational. My entire uh, staff and team, whether we're working from home or uh, socially distancing ourselves and locking ourselves in the offices, we're all still working and serving our clients here.
0: Opportunities for our our listeners that want to look at either purchase or refinance. I know it's uh, the last thing on a lot of people's minds right now, but for those that are thinking about it, what can they find at the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage?
2: Opportunities are still great, both for refinancing and buying. The Fed is committed to keeping rates low throughout uh, this pandemic, as well as long after to ensure a full, robust recovery. Definitely opportunities right now on home buying uh, as far as a decent amount of inventory hitting the market and potentially getting good deals there. For anybody that currently does not own and has been thinking about it, we're happy to run uh, rent versus own calculators for you and see kind of what your tax liabilities are and also the financial benefits of owning a home, whether primary or investment property.
0: If we're in the market or we're in the market for a refi, we should look at our numbers on our outstanding loan, our current loan. What should we be looking for? What numbers are available to us through you guys?
2: Absolutely. I'd say Anybody right now that's considering refinancing, we're taking care of uh, clients removing their mortgage insurance. We are helping people with cash out refinances to consolidate debt or do home improvements. Really anything in the high threes to low fours and above certainly would, would be of interest in taking a look at what refinance numbers look like for them right now.
0: Jordan, what about all the people out there that are having trouble making their payments during this insanity?
2: So with that stimulus package, the CARES Act, they are allowing customers to apply for forbearance if they qualify up to six months and then extend to 12. What they need to know, there's, there's information on the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau website, the CFPB website, as well as um, they need to be reaching out to their servicers to figure out what they are eligible for if they need to. If they can make their mortgage payments, they need to keep doing that. Uh, but as a last case, solution for anybody that's hit by these times Um, there are options for them but they need to understand what those options are they're not getting their debt wiped out or forgiven it's simply moving the payments and they need to understand that
0: 425-250-3150 that's 425-250-3150 Jordan Flowers team the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage
3: unfiltered
1: Back the pass, out to the left, lobs it into the flat area. Caught by Zonka at the five. He's going in for a touchdown. Zonka pulled it in, got away from Mel Blunt. Inside the five and went into the end zone for the touchdown.
0: Our next guest here on episode 91 was one of the very best running backs of his generation. He's a member of both the college and pro football hall of fames and was the personification of toughness In the 1970s. He was also a favorite of legendary coach Don Shula, who passed away last week at the age of 90. Here's the great Larry Zonka on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Zonk, thank you. Hope you and your family are doing well during all this mess.
4: Well, thank you. Sad time, but uh, a lot of great memories.
0: My condolences about Coach Shula. He was a special guy. I know you said that you're never quite ready to get news like that, no matter what the age. Well, we just... uh...
4: Coach Shula just a month or two ago, and uh, his birthday, his 90th birthday, and then of course the Super Bowl is right after that, and he was uh, very much like he is always, always has been, uh, very lively, very um, active, still sharp as a tack, and making a lot of comments and laughing, have a good time, I actually saw him surprised. Which was probably the first time in my life I remember ever seeing Coach Shula surprised. He had a great being a coach. He had a great anticipation of uh, whatever was going to happen next. He almost uncanny, but they uh, managed managed to catch him off uh, off guard, and we actually surprised him and had it. I think he really had a great 90th birthday.
0: Zonk, you actually preceded Coach Shula to Miami. It was tough sledding before he arrived, wasn't it? <laughs>
4: I don't know if the words tough sledding really (laughs) do it justice. I think we won uh, four games one year and three games the next. And uh, it was uh, a building time. I think a lot of talent was being uh, built slowly. But uh, Coach Shula brought it a long way, let's put it that way.
0: When he came in, I know that you were beaten up a little bit those first three years. You personally, it was a tough uh, couple of two, three years before he got there. What was he like when he walked through those doors, Zonk? Well,
4: Coachula's always been the same. That's the great
0: thing about him. He was exactly who he
4: was before. He was exactly who he was when that happened, and he was the same guy fifty years later. Uh, he came in all prepared. We had a strike-shortened season that year in 1970, and uh, he came in 10 or 12 days before we actually had to uh, start playing exhibition games with the ending of the strike. So we had four-day sessions in 90-degree heat, Hmm. and uh, he demanded everybody's attention every second of the day. He actually took cameras and recorded every practice, and before the next day's practice, we would review the films from the day before and go over and triplicate any mistake that was made, no matter how small. I mean, an offside, anything that happened in practice that was a regular that could be viewed as a negative on the field was gone over, talked about, dissected, talked about to the point where you were starting to bang your head on the wall. So he, he uh, that's how thorough he was. And that was our introduction to Coach Shula.
0: Did the players like yourself get pissed at him? Well, oh, of course we did.
4: My goodness, you know, have you ever have you ever met a nice drill sergeant? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so he was an it's a it's my way or the highway type of guy, huh?
4: Absolutely. That was a phrase that was coined around that time, and I, I think it's uh, directly attributable to him. You were going to do it his way, and there was no question about it and you had to do it exactly the way he wanted it done, not just his way, but exactly, you know, to the yeah. T. Yeah. Now, trust me, that uh, later on it led to a, an undefeated season, of course. So, you know, I think as we went along and started to win, we started to believe more and more in what he was saying. There wasn't so much resentment as it was initially, because uh, it was like an on-off and switch uh, from from darkness to light. And as the the light got brighter, we started to see it a little clearer, and we started to get along with him a little bit. So my relationship with Shula started out as very hostile, figuring that I was going to be gone because I didn't really fit in any game plan that was attributable to him prior to him coming to Miami. I think that another coach, Monty Clark, who was an offensive lineman from Cleveland Browns had blocked for the great Jimmy Brown, had been brought in to be our offensive line coach. And uh, he had some ideas about the offensive line and the the running backs that perhaps didn't fit Shula's uh, offensive plan that he was bringing from Baltimore. But they knew it would work from Monty's uh, history with the running game up in Cleveland. And the great thing about that was not just that Monty Clark spotted it and saw it, Coach Shula listened to his assist, first-year assistant coach mm-hmm. and went along with it. In other words, he lived up to the words that were coined by Bum Phillips when he talked about him, which is the most, the best description I've ever heard of Don Shula was was Bum Phillips when he said he can take his and beat Yearn or take Yearn and beat hisen. <laughs> that's, that that's Coach Shula to the T. Uh,
0: now, wait a second, Larry. Was that the same Monte Clark who once said that Larry Zonka is so tough that when he goes to the safari, the lions roll up their windows. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, Monty always had some, he was a great wit, Monty was uh, a uh, very, very smart man. When you get my age and you look back, you think about all the great times, and you, you, you often wonder if, if I got a chance to show my appreciation of him during the course of our tenure together, mm. whether I uh, was a little lacking in, in showing me appreciation, I should have shown towards him because he really turned our lives around uh, as well as coach Shula on the football field. And, uh, you know, I, I talked about that in stages, you know, coach Shula was a hostile, was not my friend, therefore you know I didn't put him on the friendly. Uh, I didn't keep track of when his birthday was. The first couple of years <laughs> I was around, me, you know, I didn't really care. I just wanted to get out of his presence oh. most of the time. Oh, but then it started to work, and when it started to work, yep, then I started in looking forward to being around him because success breeds brotherhood. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I didn't believe it necessarily at the beginning that I started to believe it. But as we we escalated and went along through this thing and matured, I began to appreciate it more and more and actually started to like him somewhere in the, between the second and third year there. I started to appreciate him a little bit. And it went from hostility to a friend to a head coach, great respect. And then, of course, uh, after I got out of football and was retired, we'd go back and see him. And then when he retired, we got to be almost in a family relationship Mm -hmm. where I looked forward uh, every year to going and seeing him. And it was great times. And uh, we got together and talked about old times and would tell lies on each other and laugh and joke. (laughs) And uh, it was a great appreciation because of the mountain we climbed together and the, and the records we set.
0: Larry, uh, you guys were 3-10-1 in 1969 before Shula arrived. You jumped immediately to 10 wins. And then, of course, this three straight Super Bowls. You lost the first one and won the next two. Of course, the middle one, you were undefeated, the great unbeaten team. But you have said subsequently, Larry, that it was the speech after the first Super Bowl loss that may have set up the next two Super Bowls and the unbeaten season, what was that speech like? What was it like?
4: Well, it was not a very enjoyable time, but it, it's that's exactly what happened. And uh, people ask me about the undefeated season. You know, what started it? Did he predict it? Well, yes and no. Uh, the... the perfect season rose out of the ashes of the terrible defeat in Super Bowl six because he threw everyone out of the locker room after that game in the Super Bowl six situation after we lost to Dallas. So Dallas kicked our ass. He threw everyone out of the locker room except the coaches and players, all the media, everybody out. And he, he shut the doors and he said, gentlemen, I want you to remember this moment because out of the ashes of this, we're going to build a victory and build a winning attitude. He said, I want every one of you to remember exactly how you feel in this moment. He more or less took the corpse of that season and nailed it up on the wall so we were going to look at it every day. And he reminded us every day when we came back that next year for training camp and started, we brought it up again, went through it. We looked at the tapes of the, of the Super Bowl six. He talked about it again. He said, I want unending effort from you. He said, I want total attention on the field. No no item, no mistake, no error is too small to go over and over and over. And that's what led to the undefeated season. Now, that group of guys in 1972 was probably not the strongest team, man for man, that was ever put together in the NFL. Perhaps third to fifth, somewhere down the road. I, who knows? In 100 years, probably a lot of other teams are much stronger but I've never seen a team more driven to win than that team, and that spark came from Don Shula. Mm.
0: Larry, in 1974, a lot of our audience won't remember or won't know this. In 1974, you and some other Dolphin stars decided to leave the Dolphins and go play in the fledgling WFL. That must have been a very stressful time for the relationship between you and Coach Don Shula.
4: You know, surprisingly, um, it was and it wasn't at the same time. I think when the initial shock of the thing came over, it's called professional football. In the final analysis, uh, when it was time to actually go and leave, Coach Shua came to me and said, I understand. It's called professional football. You're paid to play. When you have an opportunity to to increase your salary some 13 to 15 times, you look at that and, and decide what you're going to do. And If you're a professional, you take the money and go. That's why it's called professional football, I understand. And he said he understood. So there was never, it was never a question of leaving him. It was a question of moving up in, in the professional ranks. And we, we seized the opportunity because it was so one-sided. Given the opportunity, when things lined up and happened the way they happened, I came back into the NFL and went to New York for three years. Because Coach Arnsbarger had become the head coach up at our defensive coordinator in those 70s had become the head coach up there. Mm -hmm. I went up and played there for three years. When that was done, I came back and I called Coach Shul and said, I'd like to end my career down in Miami. He said, I'd like you to as well. But when you come back to talk to me about it, don't bring
0: your agent. (laughs) (laughs) That pretty much summed it up. Oh, dear. You know, Zonk, sports fans have grumbled when you guys would celebrate the last undefeated team losing to preserve your perfect season feat. Many thought it was a bad look. Not me. I grew up in South Florida, which was ironic (laughs) because Don Shula was always known as a man of great sportsmanship. And while he wanted to knock your head off, he was very gracious in defeat, wasn't he?
4: Well, as gracious as a winner can be in defeat, yes, he was. I think the, the there are several high points when I mean, you talk about Coach Hill's personality. And I think one of the extreme highest is his ethics about about not just winning, but how you win. And his, I guess the best way to boil it down is that as long as you win within the rules, it was uh, to be a celebrated thing. But if he thought for one minute or one second, got any inkling that there was going to be any kind of uh, underhandedness about it or sneaky or breaking the rules in order to win, he wanted nothing to do with it. And uh, made that evident and demonstrated that on several occasions when the opportunity uh, came up. Once in a game, a couple of days before pra- uh, practice, before a game, we were visiting stadium. There's, you know, a, a game report left in one of the players' locker rooms. We had to share the same locker room a couple of days before the game because of construction going on. And the other team inadvertently left a playbook yep. there, which told us exactly what was going to happen, what defense they were going to use against our offense. And that was handed to an assistant coach. The assistant coach handed it to him. He said he wouldn't look at it. He said, destroy it. Now, you know, I was witness to that as well as Monty Clark. and uh, Wow. That's not a story. That's a that's a fact. Wow. He said, if we can't beat him straight up, then we shouldn't beat him. And that's the way he felt, and that's what went down. And listen to this. We didn't beat him. That was the first game we lost. After the oh, season, boy. I think it was against the Oakland Raiders. Wow. So there it is. It wasn't something he just said. It was something he lived by, and, he, and, he, and it was not a stretch. You know, it was exactly the truth.
0: All right, Zonk, we're going to finish up, and I know that you've been asked – about the shower prank a million times, and so I apologize. (laughs) I have to ask you as we finish up for you to tell that story one more time for our listening audience.
4: Well, Coach Hula, when he first arrived in 1970 or 71, we got some new uh, goalposts for the practice fields, and they came and shipped in crates and pieces, and there was uh, some spongy rubber material that the goalposts were packed in to ship and a few of those pieces were laying on the practice field. And while Shula was out hollering and we were running around, I noticed one of the pieces and I picked it up and had it in my hand. And as he walked up to me, I flipped it to him and said, Hey, coach, catch. And flipped it to him. And he took off like a scared rabbit took off. And I thought, Oh, huh. he's, he's afraid of creepy crawly things. So I remembered that. <laughs> and uh, about a year later, we were, we were at Manny Fernandez and I were fishing in the Everglades the day after the, one of the exhibition games and Manny, saw a small gator on the bank and said he was going to catch it. And I said, I'll have no part of it. He jumped out of the boat and went and got the gator, brought it back and put it in the boat. I got out of the boat. But Manny kept the gator, and we took it back to put it in a pond at uh, Biscayne College. We wanted our own gator there in the pond. <laughs> And uh, on the way back, I suggested that perhaps we should put it in Shula's shower because he was so <laughs> affectionate of creepy, crawly things. And so we took a vote with the fellows that were in the locker room at the time, and they voted uh, by one vote to tape its nose shut. Otherwise, Shula's voice might have been a little higher in, in the second part of his life. So we taped its nose shut and put it in his uh, in his shower. And when he went in to take his shower, he came <laughs> He came out in a hurry and uh, came straight to the locker room. I saw him coming, so I got away, but he came to where my locker was, and I wasn't there, but Jim Pick was, so Jim Pick caught a hell for it. <laughs> but uh, later on, he laughed about it. Sure had a great sense of humor, even in the most stressful situations. Uh, he would sometimes crack a smile and laugh out loud right in the middle of, of – uh, harassing a referee because something was funny was said and you know he always had a great sense of humor for just a second then he went right back to the (laughs) series good story
0: oh larry zonka one of the truly fabulous running backs the nfl has ever seen i don't know that there's ever been a tougher running back than old number 39 you are terrific to share with us some reminiscing about coach shula I was a big fan of yours and his and the team's growing up in the 70s, just a couple of hours from the Orange Bowl. Thank you so much, Larry. I hope we find you well. Thank you so much for being on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you. See you later. Take it easy, Mitch. You think producer Steve Dion needed to twist my arm to do that interview? The great Larry Zonka out of Syracuse. The Miami Dolphins, one of the great and tough running backs of the 1970s on the loss of of his former coach, Don Shula, the great Don Shula, the all-time winningest coach in NFL history, Don Shula, last week at the age of 90 evergreen golf call our buddies obviously watching the markets very carefully as we inch closer to reopening the economy the evergreen private wealth management division been managing families money for decades with the goal of comfortable retirements for people all over the world i've had experiences with other firms that really only want to know do you meet their minimum Tyler Hayes' team is different in that respect. Their client compatibility survey at evergreengolfcall.com is one of several ways that Evergreen listens and understands your unique situation before even the first conversation with you. Everyone's risk tolerance... Time horizon, investment preferences, different. Evergreen's wealth consultant gets that information ahead of time so that he or she can tailor make an approach and strategy that's perfect for you and your family's needs. There are even times that Evergreen reaches out to prospective clients to let them know that their investment philosophies just don't align. And that's okay. EvergreenGolfCall.com. It's a perfect place to start. Just click on its client compatibility survey and answer a few questions. No commitment. Just a starting point. Evergreen Golf Call, A premier wealth manager in the Northwest and beyond. Unfiltered.
3: Dordie to The tie.
0: Eighteen.
3: Jordan
5: 14 seconds. Brown. Look for look for Sleepy
0: Floyd. Look, oh, he threw it to the wrong man. He threw it to Worthy. It's over. It's over. He's fouled by Eric Smith. Fred Brown, somehow
6: or another, threw the ball into the hands of James Worthy.
0: As we motor along on this episode 91, many of us stow away ticket stubs to the sports events that we attend. I toss them into the trash. Others collect stubs, not unlike cards or various memorabilia. And then there's Andrew Goldberg, who grew up in Highland Park, Illinois. He's now in Florida. He joins us on Mitch Unfiltered. Andrew, thanks for being with us.
5: Mitch, thanks for having me.
0: So let's start at the beginning. You were a kid who lived in a house a few streets over from a young Bulls rookie or young player that wore, I don't know, number 23 or something like that. Is that right? Yeah.
5: You know, I I grew up in Highland Park. It's it's a nice suburb of Chicago. And I, uh, Michael Jordan moved into this neighborhood that was a little bit of a field first. And then some really super big houses were built in there in this little cul-de-sac neighborhood. And it was around the corner from me. Like literally, I could have walked there in three minutes. I believe, as I think back on it, this was probably his second house that he bought with his contract right after his rookie contract. Mm -hmm. And it was the house that he lived in for many years before he moved to this other place in Highland Park that now has, like, the big gates and you know, 23 on the gates, and I think he's been trying to sell for many years. But, um, yeah, this was the house before the, the big one.
0: Right. So you grew up a Bulls fan, and Dad took you to Bulls games every once in a while, and you kept your ticket stubs, and the passion grew from there, but it wasn't until you were an adult, right? In 2015, where you decided, hmm, I'd like to do something special in my collection.
5: Yeah, you know, as I was growing up, And one thing I'll just mention about, you know, living near, near Jordan is that a lot of the kids in the neighborhood would go knock on his door and, you know, try to meet him. And maybe they were successful. Maybe they weren't. I was always very shy about it and also respected his privacy. So I never did when I would go to games, uh, my dad split season tickets with a couple other guys. So it was a treat if I got to go to maybe five or six games a year, like a big treat. And after a while, uh, probably by the time I was in high school, I started to think, you know what? I wonder – you know, this guy has been winning the scoring title for six years in a row, you know, seven years in a row. I wonder if one day someone would pay money for a ticket stub of his, just like someone would probably pay a t- for a ticket stub from a game that Babe Ruth played in. Right. And I thought, well, I'll just keep him. So I would keep him when I went – Um, my father, my, for my father, I would ask him, you know, to, to keep them when he went, you know, he wasn't always the best to keep, you know, keep them in good condition. He'd throw them in his pocket. I try to give him an envelope and say, here, put it in there, keep it in good condition. And then, yeah, in 2015, and this was before the Warriors you know, when they did 73 and nine, you know, at the beginning of the season, and it was just coincidence, I was thinking, I wonder what it'd be like to collect, you know, the 72 and 10 season, just have that put in a nice big frame, great for the man cave. That'd be so cool. And I started looking for the tickets and I thought, I started seeing tickets from other years too. And then I just got this, what seemed like a crazy idea to me at the time. Why don't I just try to get a ticket from every game he played in?
0: How many games did he play in? So if you
5: include regular season, Bulls, Wizards, Bulls playoffs, and 13 all-star appearances, it's 1,000. 264 games.
0: How about Dream Teams and University of North Carolina, Andrew? Any of those things interest you? They do. I'm just starting to dabble into those. I do have some of the key
5: ones. like I do have the gold medal game from 1984, the gold medal game from 1992, and I do have the 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 shots from the eighty two NCAA finals. Sure,
0: sure, sure. And how many of twelve hundred and sixty four does Andrew Goldberg have as we sit here and discuss it today?
5: It is eight hundred and seventy eight.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Is it an insurmountable challenge? I mean, can you really are you, are you gonna be able to do this? I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of obstacles but you're about you're about four hundred. It sounds to me like you're f- about four hundred behind. How do you find yep. them? How expensive is this? What do you do? Go on eBay? I mean, h- how does it work? So
5: um is it insurmountable? Uh, it's going to be a challenge, but it's not insurmountable. And I say that because all the tickets exist. They're somewhere, unlike today, when you've got you know great players where someone wanted to collect every game that LeBron James played in, you can't because So many stadiums and arenas are not uh, printing tickets anymore. Yeah, barcodes off of your
0: phone, right? You can just show them a barcode off of your phone. So there are no tickets to a lot of these games.
5: Exactly. So it's not even possible. So, And I don't know at what point it stopped being possible to do it, but I do know that for the Jordan career, uh, tickets were available for all of his games. So they exist. I just haven't found all of them yet. And I've been looking really in earnest since 2015. And where do I find them? I mean, a lot of it is certainly on eBay. Sometimes, you know, now that I've been on eBay and I've been really looking around the Internet, there is definitely this culture of ticket stub collecting for sports. And I've gotten to know a bunch of uh, ticket stub collectors. There's uh, a great user group on on Facebook for it, and you know we try to help each other out when we see things or get a hold of things because everybody comes to tickets in different ways. And are they expensive? You know, it's it's the it's the question of it depends. You know, I've gotten for uh, what what I would call a non-key game uh, anywhere from free because you know someone says here just have it. I, I want to help your collection to a dollar to you know let's say fifteen dollars maybe tops for a non.
0: Like a a regular season game from 1990, whatever, where he scores 28 or 30 or 32 points. That would be a non-key game. Not a playoff game, not an NBA Finals game, not a significant game.
5: Right. I mean, even there are some playoff games that would go for that as well. Okay. Because, you know, it's like round one, nothing special happened. Um, What I would consider, um, there's some obvious key games and then there are key games that are, you know, sort of on the spectrum of, you know, are they special or not? It just depends on how you feel about it. Like, so for instance, and by the way, there's so many, there's so many named games for Michael Jordan's career. I don't know of any other athlete, but so many named games. So there's like the flu game from the 1997, fi- you know, uh, final. Do against you have Utah. it? Do
0: you have the flu game? I do. Do you have the 63 point, 63 point game against the Celtics? That one I'm missing. That's ah, one of the key ones that I'm missing. Oh. Do, you have um, all, do you have all the Sonics NBA Finals games against our Seattle Sonics from 1996? Do you have all those games? I do have those. Okay.
5: I do have those.
0: Okay, continue. I have,
5: out of all the Finals games, I have all of them except for two, one from the 97 and one from the 98 Finals. But I've got all the other Finals, which means that I have all six clinching games, which are considered, you know, very much, you know, key games, let alone a finals game is a key game. I think anything during his rookie season is considered a key game. There's the shots, right? There's the, the Pistons walkout game, you know, when, when the Bulls swept them in 91. Right. And one of the, the coolest tickets I think that I have, and I'm not really sure about the value, but I'll give you a sense of what it could be. I don't know, is I have a ticket from his first game, in Chicago Stadium, it was a preseason game against uh, the Kansas City Kings wow. uh, in October nineteenth, nineteen eighty four. So this is the first time they put on the Bulls uniform in front of Chicago crowd in Chicago, and um, it's a full ticket. I got it graded from uh, PSA and got graded as a six, which is pretty good for a ticket. You know, I don't know what it's it's worth, but there's an auction going on right now on one of these auction sites for his first preseason game. And it's not as nice of a looking ticket as the one I have, but it's, I think it's his first preseason game. And right now someone's like paying $15,000 for it. Wow.
0: Andrew, um, I read, I read somewhere where his first game ever, the regular season opener, I don't know if that was in Chicago or somewhere else. It was uh, from, from that same year that that's a really big ticket item. Some people pay 12 bucks to go to that game. In fact, only thirteen, right. only thirteen thousand people actually went to that game, that opener. Not a lot of people went to the see the Bulls because they were no good, and they, no one knew what Michael Jordan would become. So there were only thirteen thousand of those tickets that were distributed, and some people they paid like twelve bucks to get in, and now they're selling their stubs for thirty grand.
5: Yeah, so that's right. You know, so pre Last Dance, uh, I've seen that ticket sell for thirty thousand dollars a couple times, um, and that's within the last eighteen months. I don't know what it would sell now today. I know that his uh, basketball cards are going up in value because of the last dance, but just to give you an idea of perspective here um in terms of demand and and what's out there is PSA you know professional sports authenticators they have graded um and authenticated seventeen thousand of michael jordan's uh, eighty six FLir rookie card. I see. So that's their 17,000. Now, there are more than that out there, but they've only seen 17,000 of them. 300 of them, just over 300 of them have been graded a gem mint 10. I don't remember exactly how many are nine, eight, seven, but, you know, it's significantly more. And between seven and 10, I mean, there's like thousands of them, but 300 at the top. And that top one has recently sold for forty five thousand dollars. Wow, that rookie card. Right. And there's 300 at a gym mint 10 and there's 17,000 overall. The His debut ticket, which sold for just, you know, just $30,000 within the last 18 months. I think PSA has only seen something like 20 of them. So, so when you think about the scarcity of ticket stubs, yeah. Yeah. and I like to believe that the ticket stub industry is, is, is just, it's blossoming and it's not fully mature yet. Because the reason I got into the the ticket stub instead of the the cards was the cards are cool. Believe me, they're, they're sometimes they're really cool looking and they've got the stats and everything. But they were manufactured somewhere. And when someone creates scarcity, you know that's someone's you know uh, marketing promotion, and that's really great. You know that's fun and everything to get one of the special inserts and everything. But that was that was manufactured. You know that was manufactured demand, right? when there's a ticket stub that's valuable because of something that's of something special that happened in that game, that's really cool to me. And that ticket, in many ways, is like a witness to that event. Sure, sure. It was in the room where it happened. Sure. So that's why I really think ticket stubs are really, really cool.
0: Andrew, let me throw three last really quick questions, then I'll let you go at you. Number one, do you collect – I'm assuming you collect both the the original – authentic ticket from the clubs and the Ticketmaster version. I mean, the Ticketmaster versions are nowhere near as cool as the original ones. You collect them both, right?
5: I actually do not. I only collect the uh, season ticket holder version oh. or the box office version oh. if, if the season ticket holder version is not available because the Ticketmaster version I connected with PSA about this. They generally won't authenticate them because they're too easy to
0: fake and duplicate. Yeah. Okay. Two last questions. Number one, what's the most valuable ticket that you can tell in your collection? Is it that first preseason game or is it another game? That's number one. And number two is, if I said to you, if I really broke your heart, and I said to you, Andrew, Andrew, you're done. You're not going to get. You're only going to get one more ticket the rest of your life. One more. You can only have one more Michael Jordan gameplay ticket to a game the rest of your life. Which game would it be that you don't have in your collection? So those two questions.
5: Okay. Well, the, you know, to answer your first question, I think it's going to be that that first game in Chicago. The crazy thing is, there's not really a like this huge market out there like cars where you can predict the value of a car with so many miles taken off and all that. I mean, these things sell rarely. And so when they do, they're fairly unique. So I'm I'm guessing that the ticket I have is fairly unique. I haven't really seen it out there, and it's really really special because it is its first preseason
0: game. The preseason, in, the October nineteen the yeah. October 19th yeah. game you're talking about, the preseason game. Exactly. Where I, I can't imagine anybody was at that game. But okay, you've got one of those. That's great. What's the one that you'd love to have that you don't have, or maybe give us two, give us two or three. I'll tell you that
5: there's really uh on on the, the, the hit list it would be two amongst many, but the two that stand out the most, one is that sixty three point playoff game in Boston. That was a really special game. I remember listening to that game on the radio as a kid. Yeah. And just, you know, being so excited. I mean this was the, the Phenom who just came back from his, you know, foot injury and he was like a hero to all of us who grew up in Chicago. I mean, he was as big as he was everywhere else in Chicago. He was everything. And then, yeah, that, that first, that first game, you know, the, the NBA debut, um, that would be pretty amazing to have.
0: Okay. So Andrew Goldberg, he's got, he's about 400 shy of the, uh, of the nearly 1300 games that Michael Jordan played in terms of the ticket stubs, the two that he would love to have, Uh, October 26th, 1984, the first regular season game. I'm looking it up now. 13,913 people. That's it. 13,913 people were there and tickets were distributed. People said, uh, uh, paid about 12 bucks to get in that night. And then the famous 63-point playoff game in Boston. Andrew is short. Those two and I guess 391 others. So I wish you all the best. It's kind of a fun thing. It's going to be going for a long time and... I guess you'll have something to to show your kids and your grandkids and uh, you'll continue the pursuit as you grow old. Right, Andrew? Absolutely. And if if it's okay
5: to just throw in two quick things. One is, you know, in terms of uh, Supersonics tickets, I'm missing, you know, like about six or seven of them. So if anyone, you know, has them in the Seattle area, I would love, love to hear from you. And of course, I'm also trying to upgrade the tickets too. So even if I have Already have one. If I can get a better condition one, that's always great. Okay. The other thing I'll just mention real quick is my Twitter handle. Effect, sure, okay? sure,
0: sure. And your uh, um, email address, if you want.
5: Go ahead. Sure. It's uh, so the Twitter handle is Andrew L Goldberg, G O L D B E R G, and the email address is Andrew Lewis, A N D R E W L O U I S underscore O N E at yahoo.com. So So Andrew Lewis underscore one. so,
0: So when you say, Andrew, you're missing some Sonics games, you're talking about regular season. He didn't play many. Correct. When you think about it, Western Conference team, except for the, obviously, the 96 NBA Finals, but... He didn't play right. many regular season games against the Sonics. So you're looking for regular season game tickets, and also you're looking to increase upon the quality of the tickets that you already have. All the best to you. That's great. I hope you and your family are safe down in my old uh, my old stopping grounds of South Florida. We appreciate you joining us here on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Mitch. Andrew Goldberg trying to collect every one of the 1,264 ticket stubs for games played by Michael Jordan, and it's become a little bit more expensive now since this last dance has been aired by ESPN. Hey, let's catch up with Zeke's president, Dan Black. Dan, what's new in the world of Zeke? You guys hanging in there?
3: Yeah, no, it's been good. As we've talked about, people have been really supportive of homegrown businesses with local ownership from the get-go, and so as this thing hit, that really carried us and got us going. And then, uh, you know, as we've talked about too, our business model's pretty resilient and we were able to rally around takeout and delivery as our catering. And the biggest thing has been that the Northwest has discovered beer delivery in a big way and they've discovered that Zeke's is the best at it. And so people are out there definitely drinking to get through this a little bit. And uh, like I say, they've been coming to Zeke's to do it.
0: Do you think that when this is all said and done, hopefully sooner rather than later, this will continue the momentum of beer and wine delivery for you guys will continue into into normalcy?
3: Yeah, I think it's permanent. It was something that people were discovering, you know, even before this hit. It was a segment of our business that was grown quite a bit just based on the buzz and stuff. I mean, it's a national story at this point, too. I'm talking to CNN on Tuesday, and I think it's permanent. I just think people now realize that, beer and pizza is one of the best combinations there's ever been. And they realize that, you know, they basically now got a tap house at their house if they want to order from Zeke. So yeah, I think it's
0: permanent. Pizza, salads, beer, wine. Remind all of our Mitch Unfiltered listeners, the easiest way to go about making Zeke's a part of our kind of a regular routine while we're stuck at home.
3: Yeah, I use the app and it's just because once you sign up with your email and stuff, you're really just a couple of buttons away from your order and the stuff you ordered last time is like one touch and stuff. So it's it's definitely the easiest. Uh, online at pizza.com is good too. And then, you know, we still got our crew there in the call center. Sometimes if you got a complex order or something, it's it's easier to call, and that's 206 285 go 206-285-8646. So they're all good. Like I said, I use the app.
0: I'm forever grateful for our partnership. Thank you so much to Zeke's Pizza for being a partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Dan. Thanks,
3: Mitch. Take it easy. Unfiltered.
0: Dubbed the Murder Hornet for its powerful sting and the way it decapitates its prey, this is the first time the world's largest hornet has been seen in the U.S. In its native Asia, Vespa mandarinia is notorious. Seen on programs like Netflix's 72 Dangerous Animals. Episode 91 and the story that's gaining more and more momentum, not to mention a kind of morbid curiosity. I'll try to pronounce it Vespa mandarinia, the Asian giant hornets, otherwise known as the murder hornets and their arrival here in the United States and the state of Washington, Washington State University entomologist Todd Murray is on the Zeke's Pizza hotline. Todd, thanks for being with us in my 30 years in sports radio and now podcast. This is a first, an interview about insects. I hope you're equal to the task.
6: I am. It's great to, uh, great to be here.
0: <laughs> I can't even remember a public fascination with an insect quite like this one. Is it because we're all stuck at our home uh, craving interesting topics, or would this be kind of a big social media phenomenon in the same manner if things were normal in our lives, Todd?
6: Yeah, it, it, it's hard to say. Definitely, the the name "murder hornet" uh, captured people's attentions. You know, when you just call it the Asian giant hornet, that wasn't as as gripping. Uh, Washington State University did their press release of, of about a month ago, but but it wasn't until the New York Times really brought that other name up, the murder hornet, that it really really gained traction mm. in the media.
0: Mm. So by now, lots of our listeners have either seen pictures or video of these quote killers and the devastation that they leave in beehives. Why don't you start from the beginning? Give us kind of a uh an Asian giant Hornets one oh one, if you would, Todd.
6: Here in this uh continent, we've only had a couple sightings of it, so so it's it's um, shouldn't be anything that anybody should really uh be too worried about. The strategy now is to educate the public about what it looks like and what they can do if they happen to see something that's similar look into it in the state of washington so our state department of agriculture can go in and eradicate it Um, the reason why we don't want this insect to establish aside from it being a large stinging insect is that it's um, very well designed to attack and overwhelm and and kill off honeybee uh, hives and and how it does that is it goes through three distinctive stages the first phase is uh, kind of a hunting phase where a uh, individual hornet goes out and catches an adult bee, chops up, chops it up and makes a little meatball out of it and takes it back to the hive. Mm. Then that cues the hive in to go into a second phase of the slaughter phase. And, and that's where hornets go into a hive and, and um, capture and kill the adults and dump the bodies out. Once they do that, then they occupy the hive and Go in there and feed on the pupae and the larvae of the honeybees for their own food source.
0: I see. This hornet has been around for a long time in other continents. Is that right?
6: It has. It, it's uh, native to the Pacific Rim, and most of its occurrence is in uh, Japan and, and Korea area. Um, but it's it's uh, native to that area of Southeast uh, Asia
0: so people in your world are concerned about this and i guess we should all be concerned about this because most of us have have gone to class and we know of the importance that bees have to the ecosystem what exactly are we going to try to do to eradicate? Obviously, we're trying to eradicate these things before they multiply, multiply, and they're all over the country. That could be a big problem for us. So, what do we do? What do you guys do to get rid of them before it starts? This is kind of this is almost like the COVID virus all over again. What are we doing to to get ahead of the curve to flatten the curve? Right,
6: right. Well, well the, in, in invasive species um, world, we have a different curve that we deal with. And, and right now we're at the beginning edge of an establishment curve that we're hoping to stop. So, so we feel like that, that we were able to get a report early on this potential problem and our State Department of Agriculture is ready to go in and eliminate to see where they might actually have a nest, if there are any. And, and once they identify that spot, then they'll go in and, and kill and remove the, the nest. And so what our State Department of Agriculture entomologists have done is set up a rigorous trapping program up in northwestern Washington along the Canadian border by Blaine, and then also uh, uh, deploy some education out to uh, uh, Washingtonians to be on the lookout and report it if they see it. And our Invasive Species Council in, here in Washington State has developed an excellent cell phone app. So if you just go into your app store and search for Washington Invasive Species, you can download the app, and and that app will is a one-touch report form that, that if you think you see it, you can report it through there.
0: So you're telling me, Todd, I could go out for my jog after this interview is over and I could run into one. I, I could see one of these agent giant Hornets. What what are the features? I know I know a lot of people have seen them online and seen the video. I can't I can't stop watching the video. Their their faces. I don't know if insects have faces, but the eyes. It almost looks like Spider Man's eyes. And the stingers. I mean, the size of these things are just incredible, aren't they? They
6: they are very large, and and they're one of the largest hornets on the planet. And and so the chances of you running into one of these is very slim unless you're up there the Blaine area, running through the woods and and. And that's the only spot that, again, that we've only uh, collected one or two specimens from. So, so they, they aren't that common out there right now. But people won't mistaken these for anything else. Really, they're bigger than any yellow jacket that you've ever seen. You know, they can get up to two inches, which is which is large for a flying insect, even in our area. Wow. Um, but, but they won't confuse it with anything
0: else. They've got the orange heads. They've got the Spider-Man eyes. Uh, they say that the stingers can really penetrate a beekeeper suit. Is that true? And what about the venom that they have in these stingers, Todd? Well,
6: it is true that that they can penetrate a beekeeper suit. So our State Department of Agriculture entomologists have purchased specialized suits that if they do encounter a nest, they'll, they'll arm themselves up and, and get inside these with one of these hornet suits so then they're protected that way. Um, the venom of this this hornet isn't any more toxic than any other yellow jacket or, or wasp or bee sting that you might experience but really? the sheer size of the hornet is what causes the potential danger to people is, is they can inject quite a bit of venom so it wouldn't take many hornets to inject uh, someone with a pretty large venom load that, that, that might, they might experience some health issues.
0: Are people in other continents dying, dying from this? And they're, they're not likely Todd. I'm assuming you're going to tell me they're like all the other flying insects. They're only going to sting you if they feel threatened. They're not coming after, they're not coming after you and me. They're going after honeybees, right?
6: Correct. You know, they they don't get aggressive unless they're defending a beehive that they've overtaken or their nest. And, and so they're, they're, they're not an aggressive species they don't they don't want to steam you they just want to do their thing but in areas where they are native they, they they do cause a level of mortality if somebody does go in and disrupt the nest
0: there was video that was making the rounds that was fascinating i thought of european i don't know if they're called killer bees or honey bees or i, I don't, the european version of what we have or the asian version of what we have and how they attacked these Asian giant hornets and the the precision, the game planning. It was almost like a football defensive game plan. It was unbelievable. (laughs) Why is it that they have come up with ways to defend themselves and are are our honeybees uh, less intelligent? Uh, Are they going to, you know, as time goes on, will they develop a defense strategy like the European ones?
6: Well, I, I think you're referring to the the Asian honeybee and their their likes that have lived with the threat of this hornet for many many years, and they have evolved and, and been selected for to to have a defense system. And so, they, they they do a couple things. They can they can block the hive, and they shimmy their wings. We think that it, it creates an optical illusion or it confuses the foraging hornet in trying to find that that um, opening to the hive. The other thing that they do is if they do get a hornet that, that penetrates a hive, they amass that hive, shimmy their wings up to, to create a bunch of heat and essentially cook that hornet to death. So, so they've, they've been able to evolve ways to, to deal with the hornet. Our European honeybees that we have here in North America don't have that defense mechanism and we hope that we, they don't have to develop it. So our goal is to eradicate this hornet if, if it has established and, and um, make sure that our honeybees don't have to learn to live with
0: it. Todd, it sounds like our honeybees need a Tony Fauci. They need a leader. They need somebody to come in there and start developing strategies to defend themselves. And all they got to do is go back to the video that I'm referring to. And I apologize. I must have messed it up. I guess they were Asian honeybees. It was the the Hornet. It's hard to describe. The Hornet came in and grabbed one of the honeybees. Everybody else kind of played possum up in the up in the hive. And then just as soon as the Hornet grabbed a honeybee, hundreds of them attacked and and, yeah. and heat it up as you say. Used heat because I guess the body uh, of a hornet can't can't accept the heat that, that a honeybee can, and then just enveloped the, the, the hornet and took him out. It was just it was a beautiful thing to see. But uh, yeah, we need we need we need a leader. We need a honeybee leader like Tony Fauci.
6: <laughs> well, well, ho- hopefully, hopefully they won't need it so soon. You know, our, our entomologists here at the state will are, are hopefully take care of the problem before before this even crosses the radar on our
0: honeybee. Todd Murray, an entomologist from Washington State University. It's great to have you, Todd. I hope you're safe and sound, and thanks for sharing with us a few giggles and and some information and education about uh, this, this latest fascinating insect, the Asian giant hornet, otherwise known as the murder hornet. Thank you, Todd. Thanks for being on Mitch Unfiltered. All right, have fun. There he is, Todd Murray, Washington State University entomologist on... The big story. We are talking insects on Mitch Unfiltered. The murder hornets. The Asian giant hornets. I can't get enough of them. Where would Mitch Unfiltered be without partners like Daniels Broiler? Not very far is the answer. And you don't need me to tell you that we must support local businesses and families like the Schwartz family during these times. It's vital. The same family that owns and operates Daniel's also has Schwartz Brothers Bakery and Brenner Brothers Bakery, known since 1903 for their traditional bagels and rye bread. Founded in 1973 to make pies and other desserts for their restaurants, Schwartz Brothers Bakery now offers a delicious selection of fresh breads, bagels, dinner rolls, hamburger hot dog buns, as well as pastries like cinnamon rolls and coffee cake and danish and so much more at QFC. Fred Meyer, Safeway, Albertsons, Metropolitan Market, PCC, and other local supermarkets. For a limited time, you can also find Schwartz Brothers Bakery, Frosted Shortbread Cookies, and Lemon Bars at select Costco warehouses. Schwartz Brothers and Brenner Brothers proud to continue to provide the community with bread and essential baked goods during these challenging times. It allows them to keep many of their team members employed and look forward to the day when Daniel's Broiler locations can reopen and those valuable team members can come back to work. Daniel's Broiler, Schwartz Brothers Bakery, and Brenner Brothers Bakery, staples of the Northwest community forever. Unfiltered okay other stuff segment episode 91 hot shot scott
1: yes who wants to see a picture of mitch levy and tracy taylor raise your hand if you have any interest in seeing a picture of mitch levy and tracy taylor she said she said to tell you hello some of her best years of her life were on your show and she hopes you're doing well and she sent me this picture that she stumbled across it's a nice picture of you two huh
0: it's a little strange that she said to you to say, she could write me too, you know.
1: Yeah, well, we were talking because I, we, <laughs> well, I said we were talking about you on the last episode. That's a so, lovely shot. That's I'll send it to you, yeah.
0: Oh, that's a very so lovely anyway, shot. Tracy
1: Taylor, big star on TV now, says hello and hopes you're doing well. That's very nice. Yeah, very nice.
0: That's really nice. Yeah. We never did the 91s. Oh, that's right. 90- what should we do? Should we redo the whole show and go back to the beginning and do yes. the 91s? let's do that. All right, we'll do the 91s at the end. Uh, We have not talked on this show about Jadeveon Clowney. We did talk on 90P about him speaking to the Houston television reporter. Right. Saying, I'm ready. I'm healthy. I'm here. Somebody come get me. Come sign me. And he went on to say, I love the Seahawks. I love my teammates. I love the coaching staff. I would love if the the situation was right, essentially, I'd love to go back. Right. But everybody and their brothers saying, including Brady Henderson of ESPN, our guy, the situation is not right for him to come back. So
1: Financially is what we decided, right? right. Yeah.
0: So apparently the Seahawks at one point offered one year like $14, $15 million. He turned it down. They went on and did some other things. And now, according to Brady Henderson and ESPN, ESPN.com, that the only way Jadeveon Clowney could sign back with the Seahawks would be if he were to be accepting of a deal that's much less than what they originally, what they, the the one year $15 million deal. And who doesn't love playing for a pay cut? Who doesn't love working for a pay cut, right? I mean, it's, well, it's not only a pay cut, it's less than, I mean, okay, we'll take what you offered before. Nope. It's not available anymore. There's (laughs) a psychology to that. That's like a screw you. Like I'm going somewhere else. Yeah. But, if you believe what you read, the Se- Seattle Seahawks' salary cap is $16 million. That's what they've got left okay. after the Bruce Irvin deal. So they got $16 million against the cap. So you can do the math. And they want to keep money aside for people that become free agents after cuts, right. yep. things that happen in the middle of the season. If they want to go out and acquire a player, if they want to make a trade, they got to have money to be able to pay the guy's salary. Yeah. So they've got $16 million. They don't have got 16000000 they do not have the ability to give a guy one year $14, 15000000 that he's got to be willing to pay for 9 or 10 now.
1: And again, I don't know how you live on that, so I can see where he's coming <laughs> from. But I thought there was always he's a way to— sign somewhere else. Yeah, you think he's out?
0: Yeah. But there was always I a do.
1: way to circumvent that, uh, like a workaround with bonuses. Maybe he's not interested in doing that, but I thought you could always offer more bonus money that didn't <sighs> not count. Not on one-year deals. Okay. A
0: one-year deal is kind of a one-year deal. You, you, you give a one-year deal to the guy, and it counts against the cap whatever he can make. So you've got a yeah no. There's not a lot of flexibility. There's not a lot of creativities around that. the The, the flexibility would be would you be willing for them to cut people
1: yeah. so that they had more
0: money to give to him?
1: I don't know that I am ready for
0: that. Are you ready for them to cut KJ Wright and save another five or six million or whatever it is?
1: For instance, yeah.
0: I mean, there, there's there, there's those ways to be able to give him more, but I don't think the Seahawks want to cut any more any more guys.
1: Again, I've said it before.
0: I th- I think I'm ro- we're
1: romanticizing him a little bit, maybe. Yes, he was great at times, but there were times when he sort of disappeared. Is he $16 million? Is he worth that money? Yes, we remember the 49er game, but there were some games where it kind of like, can Clowney get a sack at some point? Is that going to
0: happen? I just have a whole problem with the question, is he worth that money? I, I don't know how to answer that. Yeah, guess, is he worth that money? I think they need him back. I've been saying this since the beginning. Yeah, if- Yep. I don't care about the fact that he disappeared in games. I don't care about the fact that he was hurt in games. I think they need Jadeveon Clowney back. I believed it then. I believe it now. Now, are you asking me whether I would give him the $16 million that they have left under the cap? Obviously, you can't do you can, that. Yeah. So I, I think that they needed to get him back to have a to have a better defense. I think he makes the defense a lot better. He frees up opportunities for other people. I'm going to be disappointed that he's not back. If he's truly not back. Yeah. No, he's a real talent.
1: Love him. Would love to have him back, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen.
0: Monday Night Football. Are you a Monday Night Football fan of Joe <laughs> Tessitore? <laughs> I'm a Monday Night Football fan. Well, I mean the announcers. I'm talking announcers. They fired the announcers. Did you see this? They fired Tessitore hey, and both of them. and Booger? Booger, Booger, yeah. I don't even pay attention. I don't even listen yeah, to those guys. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. People are so tough on announcers. Oh, they suck.
1: I, I pay attention. Yeah, it's like white noise for me. I don't even really hear them. That's too bad for them. I, can he not be called booger please? <laughs> I mean, you hear guys like on during the draft, I don't know, you yeah. they're talking all serious. Oh, you tell me Let's booger. Go to booger?
0: Oh god, stop. I have to <laughs> booger. Ugh. Well, well they're being reassigned. Okay. They're they're not losing their jobs altogether. They'll go back to the studio, Tessitore will go do other games or other events or other sports or whatever. But they have not decided. They've not announced. Maybe they've decided. They've not announced who the new Monday Night Football crew is going to be do we know I mean do you have any guesses? Well I know who they wanted. Yeah. They, they wanted they wanted Tony, Tony Roma. Romo. Yeah, that's who they
1: wanted. That didn't work. And out. now
0: they want Peyton Manning and apparently that's not working out because Peyton Manning doesn't want to do it. I think they wanted Al Michaels that they tried to swing a trade with NBC to try to get Al Michaels to do Monday Night Football. That doesn't seem to be working out. So I think that they're going to hire they're going to just have guys that they are that are already out the guys that you recognize on ESPN. Maybe it's Matt Asselbeck, I don't know. Somebody from their studio okay. They'll just put them in the booth. Monday Night Football used to be so damn special. It used to be so special. The announcers used to be – the announcers used to almost transcend the games when I was a kid. Howard Cosell and Dandy, Dandy Don Meredith singing when, you know, <laughs> turn out the lights, the party's over, yeah, the whole yeah. thing. The, the announcers were rock stars. They were bigger than the games. Right. And now yeah. nobody likes the announcers.
1: I thought Tarico and Gruden were pretty good for a while. Wasn't that who it was? Tarico and Gruden? It was. I thought that was a good combo. Okay. I think they've they've had
0: some good ones. Dennis Miller was good. Yeah. Rush Limbaugh? Rush Limbaugh was on. How about was that? he on Monday Night Football. Wasn't he on Monday? No. He was on a studio show and then he said something oh. terrible about uh, During Donovan Monday Night McNabb Football or maybe? something. Maybe. Yeah. I don't think he was ever on Monday Night Football. Okay. But Dennis Miller was, telling jokes, cracking jokes. Tony I, Kornheiser was.
1: I actually think Dennis Miller's funny, but I know a lot of people don't. On
0: Monday Night Football funny? Yeah.
1: He was pretty he's, he's Really? He you liked laugh. him
0: on Monday Night Football? I think he's Nobody funny. Li- he didn't even like himself on Monday Night <laughs> I don't
1: football. know if he's good for the show, but he does make me laugh as a person. All right, Jim Harbaugh's pushing for a change that would allow football players to enter the NFL draft one, after one year in college. How do you feel about that? What's in it for him? I don't know why he cares. Is he trying to – is it because Ohio State keeps recruiting these amazing players who may leave and it makes their Probably. team worse? Probably. Alabama, There's Ohio just State. got to be something in it. I don't know why he's pushing for this. It's
0: about the most stupid thing I've ever heard. Really? About the most? Well, I mean, come on. These guys, you talk about trying to go to the NBA yeah. from high school and how difficult it is physically and emotionally and mentally, the whole thing. Think about trying – these kids from high school after one year, do you think they're – they're ready. They're big enough. They're strong enough. They're ready to go compete. No, nah, it's a stupid idea. Okay? It's They're, a stupid idea.
1: At 18, you're barely ready to compete at the Division I level, much less the NF. So, yeah, I mean... That's they, crazy. They have to build their bodies up just to compete at the Big Ten or Pac-12 level. Yeah. So, stupid. Stupid. Man. I don't like it. Norman
0: Chad. Are you familiar with that name? Yes, I am. He's a, Is he a Washington, D.C. guy? No, I don't think he's a Washington, D.C. guy, but he's one of those writers that all the writers the other writers like. I remember when I first met Tony Kornheiser to do his midday show on radio, and he told me that he wants no athletes. When we had the first meeting, we met for the first team, he says, don't ever put an athlete on my show. I <laughs> right. don't want to speak to any athletes. They have nothing to say. They don't interest me at all. You get me guys like Mitch Albom. You get me... Uh, what's the guy that he? Uh, Michael Wilbon. You get me Michael. You get me Norman Chad. Uh, that's one of them, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Norman he had Chad. this list of guys. If we have something in Seattle, get me Artie Teal. He wanted Artie Teal. Oh. Nice. The problem with 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 Kornheiser was he made it very clear that he wanted no athletes. He just wanted who the guys that he thought were and gals that he thought were bright journalists who had something to say and are intelligent yeah. that are on his level. What he didn't tell me is there was one or two guys and gals in each city that he hated. Oh. And I had to mine my way oh. through. And I just remember a couple of guys I booked not knowing. Can you name them? Do you remember or do you not yes, want to Yes, I out? remember one in particular. Anyone we'd recognize? No, but it's an unbelievable name and story I'm afraid to tell it. Okay. But he liked Mitch Album? He loved Mitch Album. Now, you get me Bob Ryan in Boston. You get me Mitch Albee. You get me Mike Litwin in Baltimore. You get me Norm Chad. God, these are all stuck okay. in
1: your head after all
0: these years. Yeah. <laughs> and then, don't get me a player. And then, and then, by the way, the, my meeting with James Brown, the CBS James Brown, yeah, the, yeah. The, was right after Tony, before we went on the air, and I was doing his show too. <sighs> so Tony then leaves, and James Brown comes in and says, Hey, Mitch, I'm James Brown. Do me a favor. I only want athletes. I don't want <laughs> <Jesus. laughs> Get me Barry Sanders and Magic Johnson right. and Michael Jordan I don't really want to do the whole news reporter guys
1: oh just those three I, I mean yeah. is there anything else I can get for yeah. you You're, yeah anyway Norman Chad
0: he's wrote a call okay and- I'll tell the story there was a guy <laughs> there was a guy I in it. Baltimore I, I shouldn't tell this story but there's a, there was a guy in Baltimore
3: Jason Lockenfora
0: no I, I don't know whether he's still alive I'm sure he is I don't know okay his name was Peter Schmuck come on I'm serious. <laughs> he was a he was a writer in Baltimore for like the Baltimore newspaper. I didn't know him. Yeah, I just knew that his name was in the thing as somebody who covers the Orioles. Oh God! And so we just started the Kornheiser thing, and what something he in, happened. He was in the Blue Book. He was in the book, <laughs> and Kornheiser wanted to do some story in Baltimore, Cal Ripken streak or something, and I had to get a writer from Baltimore on. And I call Peter Schmuck, and Peter says, "You're sure Tony wants to do it?" I didn't catch on. Oh, and I and and I said yeah I mean yeah would you like to come on yeah and he, you could tell and I this is all revisionist I didn't realize at the time that he was hesitant yeah and so then I have to call I have to call um Tony at 9 p.m precisely the night before not 8:55 and not 905 nine o'clock we talk at nine o'clock the night before before I go to sleep gotcha. and tell me what's on the show and I told him and he said okay I want you to listen to me. Oh, jeez. We don't have Peter Schmuck on the show. Oh, no. Peter Schmuck is never <laughs> on our show. What I didn't know is that Peter Schmuck was like the the baseball writers of America guy for the Orioles, and he decided who got life, who got not life, who got season-long press credentials and whatever, and he denied Tony. Oh, no way. And Tony... Had, Hated him <laughs> for that moment ever, since. and then he goes on the air and he says, "Can you?" And he's on the air. And he said, "Can you believe Mitch Levy goes out and tries to get the aptly named Peter Schmuck on our show? He tries to put Peter Schmuck on, and he's telling the whole story."
1: So you had to call Peter and cancel. I
0: called Peter and cancel, and oh, I'm sure he heard the show oh, too. God. he's in Baltimore. It's watching it. Oh
1: god. Now he's gonna. He has to listen to see what happened. Oh, now. God. What do you say when you call him? Uh, it's been a mistake, or
0: I think he was kind of nice about it. He was like, "I figured you didn't check with him first. Oh okay. Whatever. But. I, I'm sure bit. he didn't like the what went on the air. <laughs> See, being he a producer, he blasted is tough. Peter Schmuck on oh the air God. and me for for uh, for booking him.
1: We got to get Peter Schmuck on the show now. I'm going to book him for you. I
0: don't know that he's still working. I don't even know that he's still alive. I, right. I haven't heard the name Peter Schmuck. Have you ever heard
1: of, of anyone with the last name Schmuck, ever? I-
0: I'm telling you, his last name was Schmuck.
1: <laughs> Maybe that was just Tony's nickname for him. No. <laughs> it was his real name? Peter Schmuck. All right. Anyway, Norman Chad, he said that the pandemic has reminded us that we don't need more sports in our lives. We need less. And he's been getting pummeled for saying that. Because he's saying essentially.
0: We're doing just fine without
1: him. Yeah. He's disappointed by everyone's simplistic and short sighted apocalyptic vision of a sports free sports nation. These guys. Yeah. And he said in Europe.
0: Curmudgeon. From, old for, old sports writer curmudgeon. <laughs> for hundreds of years. Is it Norman Chad, the guy who's on the <laughs> World Series of Poker broadcasts on ESPN from like, or on Fox from Vegas when they do the card you know when they do the T V broadcast of yeah, the card yeah. show of the card games? Of the Texas Oldham games? Yeah, yeah. I think Norman Chad's one of the main guys. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I think he's like the I think like he's like the John Matt. He's like the the uh the Chris Collinsworth of uh, the, the Troy Aikman of uh, <laughs> The World Series of Poker. I always thought it was the... Um, maybe I got the wrong guy. The eight is enough, I could have dad. the wrong guy. Dick Van Patten? He's always on the poker uh, game, isn't he? Maybe I got nah, the wrong guy. I, I thought Norman Chad was. You have to go check me on that. Anyway, he said in Europe for
1: hundreds of years, food and conversation was entertainment enough. So everybody, settle down.
0: Enough. <laughs>
1: settle down with Norman Chad. All right. A quick rest in peace before we get to oh, the 91s. Yeah,
0: always got to do it to me. You, you probably Somebody saw it.
1: always dies. Yeah, but he was 80. Somebody always does die. Little
0: Richard? Are we going Little Richard?
1: Richard Wayne Peniman.
0: Yeah, that's
1: right. right. Uh, what would Collabro be without that that's song, right. right? That's right. Yeah, Tootie Fruity was his first big Toody hit. Tootie Fruity. Yep. Uh, Long yeah. Tall Sally. Uh, yeah. Good Golly Must... And by the way, I didn't know, I was reading about him, that uh, Jimi Hendrix, Seattle's own Jimi Hendrix, was in his band for a while. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, he joined Little Richard's band in 1964, but turns out they butted heads because they both wanted to lie. Okay, lilac. here are your 91s. So, so
0: you want your 91s? Yes. U-Dub's Brian Habib. Do you remember him? Went into the NFL. He's a defensive lineman for the Huskies in the 1980s. Went into the NFL and had a long career as an offensive line. He was one of these guys they swapped over to the offensive line. Ryan talking- Habib for the Denver Broncos, University of Washington. Great. 91. Sort of sounds familiar. No? Okay. No. Chris Clemens, 91 for the Seahawks. Defensive end. You know, I've gone back and
1: watched some, because I've got nothing to watch. He yeah. was really good for that during that Super Bowl run.
0: Was he hot? Which, which Super Bowl The run?
1: one against the Broncos.
0: Oh, he was.
1: Yeah, I mean, he would get in there and get at least get
0: sacks or get pressure. He was on that team. It yeah, wasn't he Clemens, Chris Clemens, ninety one. Yeah, I think okay. he was. Yeah, all right, all right. I thought he was gone by then.
1: Maybe not. He was on the Broncos, The one when they beat the Broncos. Okay. He might not have been there Chris for the Clemens? Patriots. Pretty yeah, he good pass
0: good. rusher, number yeah. ninety one. Chuck Darby, the big guy inside. Remember him? No, no, nothing Chuck on Darby. Chuck Darby. No. Doesn't do anything for him. Cassius Marsh, ninety one. Next, um, Jaron Reed.
1: <laughs> here we go again with Jared Was Reed.
0: 91 once and is going to be 91 uh, again. All right, moving on. Jadeveon Clowney. Episode JC. Uh, for, episode Clowney. Yeah. All right, here are your national figures that wore 91. The great Kevin Green, defensive oh. lineman for the Rams. A lot of sacks. Steelers, like one of the top too, five, right? Steelers, too. Yeah. One of the top five sack guys in the history of the NFL. Also one pros versus Joes. Justin Tuck wore number 91. From the New York Giants. He's good. Great hockey star Sergei Fedorov oh, award yeah. number ninety one. And the guy that I think we're gonna name the show after him, because he's been in your in your psyche, he's been in your conscience all of our conscience in the last few weeks because of a, a certain documentary that's airing on ESPN. Dennis Rodman wore mm. number 91. What a weird number that was. That wasn't his first number. But no, it, it wasn't? He was like 10. 10. Yep, 10 with the Pistons. But I think he became famous for 91. Did he? Or yeah. No? Yeah, he was probably mean, the We could do episode the one. That's all I got for it. Look, if you don't want him, you don't want Habib, you don't want Clemens, Darby, Marsh, Reed, Clowney, Green, Tuck, Fedorov... I don't then know. it's got to be Dennis Rodman. The Worm. It's the episode The Worm.
1: I do like Dennis Rodman
0: a lot. Carmen Electra doesn't yeah. do anything
1: for Oh, <laughs> well, sure. By the way, how does she look better now than she did 15, 20 uh. years ago? You see her in that thing? Yeah, I saw her. Looks great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to go with Dennis Rodman. I, I think he would be very happy that we named an episode after him.
0: I don't know that people, like listeners, want us to name an episode after Dennis Rodman. Anybody like Dennis Rodman? You only liked him if he was on your team. He was never on our team.
1: Yeah, but you, you admire the hustle. You admire doing the dirty work, the rebounding, the pumping the fist after okay, everyone. I got it. Thank you.
0: Uh, ladies and gentlemen, episode Brian Habib
3: <laughs> is in the books.